0: Star Wars is presented by State Farm. You know those days, oh, when it feels like problems just pop up oh. out of nowhere.
1: The helpful folks at State Farm do, like a fender bender when you're already late. Or what about a thief breaking into your home and making off with your new flat screen television or your code breaker? from your casino jail. Hello there. Luckily, there are more than
0: 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because
1: when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Hi, I'm holding for General Hugs. This is Hux. You and your friends are doomed. We will wipe your filth
0: from the galaxy. I want to tell you about binge mode.
1: Hello? It contains adult content. Can you... can he hear me? And spoilers. can. With a B? Long pod, kinda loud? I can hear you. Can you hear me? And now, binge mode. BBA, punch it! Please don't go this way. No, no. You're still... holding on! Let go! Do you want to know the truth about your parents? Or have you always known? Are you just hidden it away? You know the truth. Say it. Hello! Yeah!
0: <laughs> Thought you were going to give me a little
1: Porg sound little pests. Hey! They're, I know, but just, you can't let them get into your insulation and stuff. Go tear anywhere up the, you want. They're going to tear up the insulation, ruin the value of the vehicle. <laughs> 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 and welcome to Binge Mode Star Wars.
0: Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Ah, I'm Mallory Rubin, Editor-in-Chief of TheRinger.com. Oh! A fantastic website. It's great. Joining me today... Now that he's finished guzzling a bottle mm. of green milk freshly squeezed from a tall siren's teeth.
1: down Ringer. smooth.
0: It's <laughs> Ringer, senior creative. Your Jedi master, Jason Concepcion. Mal.
1: <laughs> Wipe your chin also. why? Are you, oh that's fine. God. You're drinking it.
0: Yeah. He's no better than Robin but Aaron. You're like really. a
1: savage. It's so dripping down your face. <laughs> Ah, Now I'm ready for Binge Mode Star Wars, where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe from the Skywalker saga films, to the anthology films, to the Mandalorian, plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away. All leading up to the release of Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, December 20th. Please make the journey to Octo with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us the five-star ratings, or we will leave you on CanoBite. Enjoy. To be trampled by fathers. And have credits stuffed in your orifices by small, monocled aliens. See how you like it. I got vivid in a hurry. It's unfortunate that happened to our friend BB8. Terrible. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to post your favorite father photos. Yeah. And if you have the time, why not head over to the slash shop to check out our brand new. Binge Mode merch, comfy gear for code breaking.
0: Wonderful. Last time on Binge Mode, we explored how revival shapes Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. And today, we're diving deep. Deep <laughs> into 2017 Star Wars Episode 8, yes. The Last Jedi. The second installment in the sequel trilogy. As always, spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from this film and the entire Star Wars saga to date, taking official canon and legends, hashtag not canon, into account. So keep your eyes peeled for vulptuses. Follow the Crystal Critters because it's time to head to Crate. Jason? Yes. You have no place in this story. Oh, well, that's topsy to here. You come from nothing, you're nothing. Wow. But not to me. No. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is subverting expectations. Be, be, be. Before we get into the plot, very, very quickly, some stage setting as usual. This film is, of course, directed and written yes. by Ryan Johnson before this movie came out. In November of 2017, Disney had announced that he would also be helming his own trilogy. Very little info on the state of that to date. We'll see what happens there. Indeed. So how did The Last Jedi do? $620 million domestically, $1.3 billion worldwide, which of course is good yeah. because it's billion with a B. And it was the top film at the box office in 2017, but not up to the heights financially of other Star Wars films. Adjusted for inflation, it is behind five other Star Wars movies on the all-time charts. What about the reception? Hello. Critics first.
1: Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 91% fresh, mm. which, fresh. again, we feel that we must say, listen, that's not scientific, but it is a indicator. Mm-hmm. Fans, only 43% oh. on Rotten Tomatoes from the fans, though that number is skewed by the kind of fans who descended on the site massed leave reviews. This, yes. was a, this was a it thing. Was, it was divisive in a way that particular to the internet that allows... Uh, the very, very, very vocal minority to be very vocal. To, to hijack a debate in That's a exactly particular right. way. There was some potential evidence that bots actually drove the score down mm-hmm. as well, though Rotten Tomatoes disputed those claims. There's a fan petition. There was a, a change.org petition to, quote, Strike Star Wars Episode Eight from the official canon because it, quote, was a travesty. It completely destroyed the legacy of Luke Skywalker and the Jedi. It destroyed the very reasons most of us as fans liked Star Wars. It received 116,000 signatures. Now, the legacy. We're going to talk about this a lot, of course, as we discuss the plot. Specifically in response to that prior fan petition idea. But, you know, there's a lot of questions that come up around this debate. Who owns stories? The consumers or the creators? What role does, quote-unquote, fan service play in... The crafting of stories like these. As Ryan Johnson told Sean Fantasy on The Big Picture, quote, it's a very personal thing. I know it's different for every fan, but I had to make it personal. I had to make my version of what felt right. Yes. The great joy is that we were all sharing it together and we shouldn't lose sight of that. That's right. Let's not lose sight of that, please. So three quick notes before we dive into the
0: plot. One, we have done a podcast on The Last Jedi before. We did one right when it came out as an instant reaction. These are our more evolved thoughts that have yeah. settled over time. Two, just like with the Force Awakens pod, we're going to keep this a little looser, conversational, because the Rise of Skywalker ultimately will influence how we feel about this entire trilogy. And three, just so you know, going in, we love this movie. If you don't want to hear people who like the movie talk about why it's good and important, you've been warned. Let's start with Ray and Kylo. Raylo. Raylo.
1: Now, this is the Luke movie. And the way that The Force Awakens was Han's movie. But it's also a movie about the past, the future, the ties that bind and the people and things that usher us from mm-hmm. one era into the next. And in yes. that sense, it's Ray and Kylo's movie. And in particular, their relationship more than anything else. That's they right. and their bond are at the heart and soul of this movie, along with Luke. We're back with Kylo, who's back in his mask, in mm-hmm. Snoke's presence. Speaking of scarred faces, he looks like a peach that sat in the sun for too long. A very weird Snoke face when we got to see him. The mighty Kylo Ren. When I found you, I saw what all masters live to see raw, <laughs> untamed power. Beyond that, something truly special. The potential of your bloodline. A new radar. Amy Circus gets these fucking tones in the low register of his voice that's like... I know, it's amazing. Ooh. This is the longest Star
0: Wars movie. I wonder if it would have been the same length as all the others if he didn't speak that slowly.
1: I, 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 it works, <laughs> I gotta say. It's very effective.
0: Yeah. Very effective. Uh, just jarring to see him as like a normal-ish sized humanoid after the massive projection from The Force Awakens. That quote from Snoke, that idea, the potential of your bloodline a new Vader, in the movie that is... In large part, about the Ray's parents or no one reveal, yeah. is obviously a deliberate contrast. Kylo wants to break away from the fame of the name, not, of course, the Vader part. That is what he is drawn to, but from Luke, from Han, even to an extent from Leia, though that one is much harder for him as we see in this film. Ray wants to know who she is. Kylo wants to carve out a new identity in one person's image. Now I fear I was mistaken, Snoke says. And Kylo is kind of pissed. I've given everything I have to you, to the dark side. What does Snoke say? Take that ridiculous thing off, meaning the mask. And we see this, the wound that Rey left him with. Yes, there it is. You have too much of your father's heart in you, young Solo. Well, that's obviously the last thing that Kylo wants to hear. He just uh, killed the guy. And he's happy to remind Snoke of that. I killed Han Solo. When the moment came, I didn't hesitate. And look at you, Snoke says, the deeds split your spirit to the bone. And that comment is ultimately a good sign for us as viewers who are invested in Kylo about the core disposition and ultimate choice that hopefully he can make. But there's also a soul-shredding, murder, horcrux comp mm-hmm. aspect to this that is very important here, along with that idea of remorse. What's the only way to stitch that shattered soul back together to truly show remorse?
1: You were unbalanced, (laughs) bested by a girl who never held a lightsaber. You failed. Kylo doesn't like being made to feel like a disappointment. Clearly, this is Uh something uh, that comes from his relationship with his now deceased father. And Luke. And Luke. Certainly, his honorary Jedi father. He rises to challenge Snoke and gets a little jolt of, little buzz of force lightning. Just a taste. Just the tip. Hello. These two clearly have some issues, and Snoke tells him that as long as Luke lives, the Jedi lives. As long as he does, hope lives in the galaxy. I thought you would be the one to snuff it out. Alas, you're no Vader. You're just a child in a mask. Woo! Sh- Savage ah! stuff! My goodness. That. Razor. Sharp. Absolutely sends a needle. To the very exposed nerve at the center yes. of Kylo's identity issues. You he's, thought Ray's lightsaber cut through him, my God. He's cosplaying this character, trying to build himself up into that image of fake it till you make it. Totally. Kind of tactic, if you will. And then being made to feel a failure for not living up to it. Full of rage and shame, as always, he unleashes his anger, uncorks it in the elevator with his mask over his fist, ramming it into the walls of the elevator. Remember, he doesn't require it as Vader does. It's simply an affect. Yes, it's a And in that sense, Snoke is quite right. He wears it to stoke fear as a function of his identity. No longer. He's shifting here, killing this kind of performative version of himself that thought he needed this mask but also still in response to others. This is one of the fascinating elements of his personality. He's quite eager to please. Mm-hmm. He wanted to please Luke, but when he saw the disappointment in his eyes, it shattered him. He wants to please Snoke. He says in that scene, I've you. i given you everything. You, given you everything. Yep. He wants approval, craves it even. And we'll see that later with Rey.
0: As far as the kill the past symbols go, Kylo smashing the mask that he built to be like Vader is very high on the list. Ray's position, meanwhile, at the start of the film, is the same, of course, as it was at the end of the prior one, both geographically there on Octo with Luke, which we will talk about next when we get to Luke and the Jedi. And also, in terms of how she feels about Kylo, at the beginning of this movie, she says there's no light left in Kylo Ray. She left him saying that he was a monster. But isn't there? While subversion takes many, many forms in this film, one of the primary vehicles is that kill the past idea that dominates the story. And yet, When Kylo, who was one of the primary fonts for dispensing that particular twisted brand of wisdom, first faces the chance to kill the past himself, he can't do it. Mm -hmm. He can't pull the trigger to blow up the ship that he knows his mother is on. Remember what we talked about in our Empire podcast about Kylo's test in the Cave of Evil on Dagobah, how he could not strike down his parents when he saw them there. Here, There is a very powerful moment when the sound in the sequence changes. It goes quiet. The Force, of course. Leia and Ben sensing each other, mother and son. And Kylo looks extremely emotional. Again, you've heard us say it a million times. Adam Driver crushing it. Kylo killed his father, killed Han. As a viewer, you're sitting there in this moment wondering, does he have it in him to do it again? There would be no coming back from killing Han Solo and Leia. You couldn't recover from that. He does not, ultimately. He takes his finger off the trigger, a crucial, crucial moment in his redemptive arc, should there ultimately be one. Much like Anakin, who loved his mother and his lover, Kylo has two main tethers to that potential path to redemption, Leia and, of course, Ray. And much of the film is structured around these FaceTime force bond, yeah. a.k.a. Force Time, shouts to Jen Yamato, we
1: think, for coining this phrase when the film first came out. We first see it when Rey wakes up on Octo, and Kylo is getting his stitches out. A little droid. Imperial droid kind of knitting away. (laughs) Clearly, neither of them has experienced anything like this before. And it is very disorienting. Nor have have we as really. Rey shoots off her blaster, which goes through the wall. And Kylo jerks as if he has been struck and unsure for a moment if he has. Yeah, Good table setting for the later reveal when we see his... Hand covered in the spray of water mm. from the where Ray is, and that they can touch each other this way. They can, they can pass some sort of matter between this bond. Yeah, semen? here they what semen. She <laughs> <Jeez. Too> much. <laughs> well, I mean, if here's the issue: Too if much. you're connected, yeah. and then the connection. Oh God, does it snap? Yeah, tough. moll esque. <laughs> you don't want that happening. Positively mall esque. Here they both move outside in the hall and he tries to use the force to overwhelm her will. You'll bring Luke Skywalker to me before she can get her defenses up. But immediately he realizes, no, this is not what I think it is. And they begin to explore whatever this is. He's very curious about it. You're mm-hmm. not doing this. The, the effort would kill you. He is a scholar of the Force, ultimately. Yeah, he's very, he's fascinated curious. with whatever this yeah. effect is. And that is ultimately correct. This kind of projection takes him tremendous power, as we will see at the end of this film. He asks if she can see his surroundings and says, I can't see yours. Mm-hmm. Key here, yes. since it means he can't find where she and Luke are. Just you, Kylo. This is something else. Mm. It's a new power. And as Ryan Johnson explained in an L.A. Times interview
0: around the release of the film, the force evolving across Star Wars movies... Yes. ...us being introduced consistently to new powers is actually consistent. Change is a constant in the franchise. Quote, The truth is, because Star Wars Until the Force Awakens had been set in amber... And we hadn't had a new Star Wars movie in 10 years, you forget they were introducing new Force stuff with each movie based on the requirements of the story. Force grabbing didn't come around until Empire. It wasn't in A New Hope. Same with Force ghosts. They'd introduce new ideas of what could happen with the Force each time.
1: Important to keep in mind. Ray, busy making enemies of the Lanai Temple Guardians. This is terrible. She, I mean, she almost kills she them several Just say sorry. Times. I
0: know. Like, you almost dropped a fucking... Cliffside on them. I mean, almost—it literally
1: knocked the cart out of the poor aliens' hands. Terrible. Almost killed two of them. Jesus. (laughs) Ray. She immediately lies. She immediately lies to Luke about what happened with Kylo, and this is notable. Their next session is just a few minutes later. Why is the force connecting us? He asks. You and I. She tells him he's lost, having previously said he'll pay for what he did to Han, and he asks. Hey, did uh, Luke tell you what happened <laughs> yeah. between us and that night I destroyed the temple? And she says, I know everything I need to know about you. You do? Ah, you do. That part kills me. You have, you have that look in your eyes from the forest when you called me a monster. To be fair, you had just killed your dad. That was tough. You are a monster. Yes, I am. It's a very sad moment, but also kind of, it's an interesting energy from him because mm-hmm. the, he wants to be that monster. He wants people in, to in think a, in he's a, that monster. In a, in a manner of speaking. I mean, he is that monster. He's killed, again, billions of people. Yeah. Torn <laughs> torn children from the breasts of their mothers and trained them to be killers. Well, I mean, when you list it out like that. I'm listing it. I'm openly <laughs> listing it because I feel that it's important. I do think it is sad, though, when he says, I, obviously, you're right. He's yeah. a war criminal. Yeah. But...
0: <laughs> I do think that it's sad the way he says, you do, I, you do. Like, he failed. Yeah. You know, he chose to do what he did. He is ultimately culpable, just like Anakin was, and held accountable for his decisions. But his master, Luke, also failed him. And again, we'll get to Luke in a few minutes. And. So much of his life is defined by the sense of inevitability that people are going to see the worst in him mm. and believe the worst in him. And when he says that, Ray, I you do it, just feels like he's back in that moment again, knowing that people are waiting for
1: him to let them down. I, that breaks my heart. It's sad. The redemption theme in Star Wars is obviously constant, and I'm affected by it. Yes. On the flip side of that, I also feel like one of the really interesting dynamics at the core of Star Wars is this kind of like idea that the powerful can only empathize with the powerful mm-hmm. that's why I think the stable like the inclusion of the stable uh-huh. boy and the kids right. on Cannabite is actually really important because we get this kind of image snapshot of what's going on with the people who don't have the force mm-hmm. you know flowing through them. But I do think that that's a you know, it's obviously not just Star Wars that does this, but I think it's a component of stories that I've been at least in my own mind interrogating a lot about. Mm-hmm perspective and who we empathize with in stories. Here's Uh this person who's literally like a trillion time over murderer. Yeah. And we're just like, I feel bad for this guy. Well, it's definitely one of the more fascinating conundrums of the
0: central proposition of what Star Wars is, Mm -hmm. asking you series after series
1: to forgive the monster. The next session. This is my fave. I know it is. (laughs) The next session is at night. She says, I'd rather not do this now. And he says, yeah, me too. And then she looks over and he's got his shirt off. And he's got a weird torso, but very. He looks
0: great. It's kind of. He's wearing very high-waisted pants. It's like his his muscles
1: are lovely. It looks like a triangle, like with the tip, like standing on the tip, but the tip is kind of cut off. Do you have something, a cowl or something you can put on? (laughs) Uh,
0: She can't stand to see him
1: shirtless because she's so overcome by how attractive it is. It's a very funny moment. In cool. Brian Hyatt's Rolling Stone feature, Ryan Johnson spoke about wanting to inject that humor. Quote, That's one thing I hope people will be surprised about with the movie. I think it's very funny. The trailers have been kind of dark. The movie has that. But I also made a real conscious effort for it to be a riot. I wanted to have all the things tonally that I associate with Star Wars, which is not just the Wagner of it. It's also the Flash Gordon.
0: Yes. It's great. Absolutely. Ray continues. Especially because
1: Wagner was a raging anti-Semite <laughs>
0: God, we've mentioned him a lot. (laughs) Ray continues sighing as he (laughs) does not put a shirt on. Why did you hate your father? Give me an honest answer. You had a father who loved you. He gave a damn about you. And Kylo says, I didn't hate him. Then why? Why what? Why what? Say it. Why did you kill him? I don't understand. And he says, no, your parents threw you away like garbage. This is just savage. They didn't. They did, but you can't stop needing them. It's your greatest weakness, looking for them everywhere in Han Solo now in Skywalker. And Rey's parentage, of course, is a central part of this, Mm -hmm. not only film, but this trilogy. And the reveal in the film, which we'll get to shortly, is the ultimate subversion of our expectations. So much theorizing heading into this film about who Rey could be. Could she be a Skywalker? This exchange with Kylo primes us for that moment. One of the film's many reminders of how that question, how that desire for family, knowing who she is and where she came from, has defined Ray's life.
1: Did he tell you what happened that night? Yes. No. And now we see the memory in this kind of Rashomon kind of way from his perspective. He had sensed my power as he senses yours. And he feared it. And we see Luke in Kylo's hut standing over him. He's got his... Lightsaber out and it's ignited, and the green glow is washing over him. Kylo is laying on his sleeping pallet, vulnerable prey, and he looks up, sees Luke standing over him, and in a flash, he reacts. He, to defend himself, pulls the stone hut down on both of them. That sight of Luke in that posture is really jarring. Yeah, I mean, they really, the way they lit him makes him look maniacal. He's got these kind of like, I don't know if they put more black makeup under mm-hmm. his eyes, but he had these kind of dark circles around yeah, his he eyes. Looks like he looks like us at a binge watch session. really time. does. <laughs> Liar, Ray says. Kylo, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. This is the theme of this movie in a, in a lot of ways, a key idea for our characters and us alike as we engage with uh-huh. what the story is becoming. The past and the present and the future are all together linked. Can we embrace the future if we can't let go of what came before? Can these characters move forward if they don't do that? Can we move forward into this story if we don't do that? Well, can we understand who we are or how to move forward if we don't understand where we came from, if we don't have that context? These are all interesting questions. Fear of the past and taking lessons from the past are not the same thing as Yoda and Luke will explore. And as we will discuss soon, one can lead you astray, but one can guide you. The mirror cave on Octo calls
0: to Rey after this third Force time session, and she goes right in. It's another one of these vaginal-like spaces in Star Wars. Her cave of evil trial, her version of Dagobah. She falls down into the water, and then she emerges just like she is coming out of the womb, born again, to find herself in this mirror cave, facing the mirror, reflection. Facing yourself, seeing yourself, having to look at yourself and try to understand who you really are. What greater test could there be? Think back to Luke's test on Dagobah and remember that after he saw Vader, he saw himself in Vader's mask. Ray sees all of her forms here reflected. Could this be potentially a Ray clone tease? Who knows? Maybe. She hears a woman's voice shouting her name, her mother. It is a very, very cool sequence. Mm -hmm. There's this snapping the ripple of it as she snaps, all of these nifty presentations and representations of, again, the past, the present, the future, cause and effect. And then she starts to speak. We hear her voice. I should have felt trapped or panicked. We don't know who she's talking to at first, though we will learn it's Kylo. But I didn't. This didn't go on forever. I knew it was leading somewhere, that at the end it would show me what I came to see. And back in the cave, we see her calling out. Let me see them. My parents, please. Two shapes walk toward her, and then morph into one, into her. I thought I'd find answers here, she says. I was wrong. And this is almost existentially despair-inducing and crushing. Certainly Empire Strikes Back-esque. And we cut and realize that the voiceover is her explaining this to Kylo, that she is revealing in a true holy shit moment herself and these deep thoughts to her nominal enemy. And in that moment, you really understand how connected they are, Mm -hmm. how that bond is the heart of this story, what this trilogy is really about. I've never felt so alone, she says. You're not alone, he says. And she replies, neither are you. It isn't too late. And she reaches out to him. And his face kind of twitches, you know, the conflict represented on the surface there. He takes off his glove and reaches through. And they touch. They can feel each other, their fingertips. They can interact. And clearly, the fact that they can and the way that it feels to do so impacts them both. She is trembling. And just then, Luke, who we had seen minutes prior hovering over in this destructive posture, arrives.
1: And he can see Kylo, too. We can intuit from his reaction. He says no, and with his arm outstretched, uses the force, and the stone hut explodes. Is it true? Did you try to murder him? Ray asks. Leave this island now, Luke says, and she pursues him as he walks away, and then attacks him. A glimpse into a possible dark ray future. Who's this to say? Sequence is very intense. Did you do it? Did you create Kylo Ren? He calls down. This is actually really cool. He puts his hand up, calls down like a piece of metal that was like maybe a lightning vein that was like on the top of a hut, and he pulls it down into his hand. And they begin jousting. And there's a terrifying moment when he knocks her staff out, and instinctively. Instantly she reaches out for the saber and activates it and oh my he God. falls. That is chilling. Backwards, catching himself with the force. <sighs> and he looks terrified. Not that he'll die, but recognizing the just as Snoke said about Kylo, the raw, untamed power. Yes. Tell me the truth. I saw darkness, he says. I sensed it building and him. I'd seen it in the moments during his training. And now we get a new, fuller flashback playing from Luke's perspective as he talks. But then I looked inside and it was beyond what I ever imagined and we see him standing over Kylo this time but looking decidedly less maniacal his lightsaber not yet ignited he has his hand out and he's trying to read Kylo as he sleeps which is invasive and weird. I mean I think this is just what the Jedi do honestly it's just the Jedi way. I stand by my take. I know I I agree but like <laughs> again they've been a fucked up organization for for millennia. Well, we'll get to that. And we hear something unfolding, screams, some kind of indication that there is a rage mm-hmm. or some kind of trauma that's really affecting Kylo in his subconscious, fueling him perhaps. Kylo stirs, wakes up, looks, sees Luke standing over him, and he sees the, the hurt and the disappointment and knows that Luke has been peering into his mind, and is he feels surely vulnerable and invaded by this. Luke doubted him and he knows it. And it's hard to find your way back from that. Imagine like a parental figure being able to peer into your very subconscious and be like, I know what you're thinking about. That kind of shame is almost impossible to actually and that what, conjure force. Yeah. And that what I saw there made me activate my lightsaber yeah, as I, I mean,
0: hovered above you. The The despair that you would feel for knowing somebody you trusted and and looked to to lead you could think that about you would be devastating. Luke told Ray that Snoke had already turned Kylo's heart. Quote, he would bring destruction and pain and death in the end of everything I love because of what he will become. And for the briefest moment of pure instinct, I thought I could stop him. We see him turning the saber on. It passed like a fleeting shadow, and I was left with shame and with consequence. And the last thing I saw was the eyes of a frightened boy whose master had failed him. And that admission from Luke, again, just very Dumbledore-esque, the price of my shame, is a chilling reveal. And we will talk about the impact on Luke soon. But from Kylo's perspective, the look on his face, again, a young boy's face, tells us everything we need to know, more ultimately than what he does after. And Ray says, "You failed him by thinking his choice was made. It wasn't." That is kind of the heart of it. That is correct. If you return from the dark side, that could shift the tide. This could be how we win. And Luke says simply, "This is not going to go the way you think." Luke, of course, used to be the one challenging the message from the mentor. And A moment like this, an inversion like this really reminds us how much time has passed. Ray is the headstrong prodigy who thinks that she knows best. It is, she says, just now when we touched hands, I saw his future, as solid as I'm seeing you. If I go to him, Ben Solo will turn. Now, there's no saying, given the ultimate outcome of the film, that that future has to completely be immediate. Maybe she's sensing things that are still to come, but Luke says, Ray, don't do this. She goes to hand him a saber and he refuses to take it because it's hers now. Then he's our last hope, Ray says. But of course, she will be.
1: She leaves to go to him and in the elevator of Snoke's ship, she makes her pitch. You don't have to do this. I feel the conflict in you. It's tearing you apart. Ben, when we touched hands, I saw your future. Just the shape of it, but solid and clear. You will not bow before Snoke. You'll turn. I'll help you. I saw it. And the way she calls him Ben, which is like very, I mean, it's very Luke saying father. You know what I mean? It's like Dumbledore calling Voldemort Tom meant to cut through the persona to the person at the core. Yes. But with the intention, in this case, of trying to pull someone back, to soften mm-hmm. them, pull them back to the light, not in the case of Dumbledore, to anger or right. even, in fact, to like belittle. Yes. No doubt. <laughs> this is all Snoke's manipulation, as we will see, but it's also correct one of the central kind of mechanics of the redemption theme within Star Wars is confronting these hard choices, even when the villain is luring the hero to do it. It's Uh to walk into the lion's den knowing that that trap has been set and say, I'm here. Still find your way out, right? And it's also not right in the sense that this is not the full picture. It could indicate what is still to come, a fascinating snapshot of the precarious nature, a vision and prophecy. And right away, we're reminded of how touchy predestination is, how fickle a beast it is to sense the future. I saw something too because of what you saw. I know when the moment comes, you'll be the one to turn. You'll stand with me, Ray. I saw who your parents are. Ooh. In front of Snoke, Kylo hears that his master's faith in him is restored. The gleeful note in Snoke's voice. Darkness rises and light to meet it. I warned my young apprentice that as he grew stronger, his equal in the light would rise. And he thought that would be Luke Skywalker, obviously, but it is Ray. More fodder for the nature and depth of their connection. Ray's reply here is incredible. You
0: underestimate Skywalker and Ben Solo and me. That classic Star Wars idea. We heard it, of course, from Anakin to Obi-Wan. You underestimate my power. There, that was fueled by rage. We also heard it from Luke to Jabba. I warn you not to underestimate my powers, and that was measured, calm, determined. Rey is of a piece. She is uncommonly bold. And Snoke is unfazed, even happy, calling her a fool, telling them that he was the one who breached their minds, as he puts it. I stoked Ren's conflicted soul. I knew he was not strong enough to hide it from you and you were not wise enough to resist the bait. This is, of course, a troubling development when we hear it, like learning that Voldemort was planting the visions in Harry's mind to lure him to the Department of Mysteries.
1: Seeing that reality wash over her face is really tough. Absolutely. Daisy really is great throughout this movie, but really, really good in these scenes.
0: Because when you realize something like that has happened, you then start to have to examine the nature of manipulation and control, yeah. it's like Playtest, that Black Mirror episode mm-hmm. that we like so much. If you can't trust your own mind, then you have no tether to anything anymore.
1: I think, and then there's something else, too, that's, you know, Ray on her journey has just been like a rocket ship going straight up in terms mm-hmm. of her potential. She's right, this is a, a check. This is a check. She's become an important cog in the resistance war machine. She's felt her power in the Force grow at almost every turn, becoming a better lightsaber dueler, becoming more powerful in the Force, learning more things about the Force almost at every second. And here she realizes, oh, here's where the edge of my, my ability to see is. Here's where the edge of my power is. I've just come into contact with somebody who's much more powerful than I am. I actually... I'm not sure what I'm doing at this mm-hmm. at this particular stage. And mm-hmm. it is a reality check.
0: Yes, that's a great point.
1: There is, though, a little bit of a life raft in that yes. reveal, which is
0: that even his master knows that Kylo is conflicted. Rey remains steadfast. As Snoke makes her look out through the window at the destruction unfolding in the fleet... So reminiscent of the Emperor making Luke look out from the Deuce. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> in Return of the Jedi, she remains unwilling to quit, and she reaches out with the Force to grab, I like summon. It. I like it, Kylo's. I lightsaber, love the fight. A red saber in Ray's hand. One potential future that we're glimpsing here. Just giving us that image in this movie is so huge. And when the saber lands back in front of Kylo, it spins. And it's almost like a game of spin the bottle. Where will it land? Who will he end up with? My worthy apprentice, Snoke says, son of darkness, heir apparent to Lord Vader. Where there was conflict, I now sense resolve. Where there was weakness, strength. And he's right. Only the resolve is to kill Snoke and side with Rey. Complete your training and fulfill your destiny. Ah, there's that word again, destiny. But who decides? We do with our choices. I know what I have to do, Kylo says. And that is, again, mirror phrasing to the exchange he had with Han, to what he said, to what he expressed right before he killed his father. Ray calls out to him, Ben. And as Snoke is just up there, stumping, totally oblivious to what's unfolding, saying, I see his mind, I see his every intent. Kylo uses not his lightsaber in his hand, but his other hand to activate Luke's lightsaber next to Snoke, slicing him
1: mall style
0: in half. A shocking moment. Absolutely
1: shocking! One, because of the deftness and the subtle beauty of the scheme that Kylo unfolded in front of us as a way to, like, juke out his master. Incredible, but also because of the way it subverted this idea that Snoke was going to be the big bad. Yes. Um, Immediately took him off the board. That He's just a step along the way. And this is another area where some a people. certain segment of fans were outraged, and this is honestly just a taste thing. We're not here to tell you to sure. like something or not like it.
0: Everybody is allowed to feel however they feel about the movie. It would be lovely if the discourse didn't yeah. need to get so toxic. You're you're entitled to like the movie
1: or not. We are explaining why yes. we like it. The film set up a big bad and then cut him down. And I found this fascinating because to me it's like, you know, it's that thing when you're— <laughs> When you're like young and coming up and you're like, I just wish everybody get out of my way. Like I get it from Kylo. He's just like, you know what? Get out of my way. Like I want to do this now. But there's something thrilling in that idea, the defying of convention, reworking the template. Maybe Kylo's gonna become the true like evil villain now. And what does this mean for the first order? Right. And in the process of reworking the template and subverting these expectations we have, it reinforces that Ray's choices and Kylo's choices dictate this trilogy it's not the work of this dark puppeteer and we hope that remains true because it's it's, it's, it please god for me it's like it absolutely exhilarating it is thrilling to be like oh wow we're just out in new space here's the thing again here's the thing i haven't seen before from an ew interview before the film johnson teased that snoke's full background wouldn't be revealed because quote similar to ray's parentage snoke is here to serve a function in the story and a story is not a wikipedia page Mm. The filmmaker says, quote, for example, in the original trilogy, we didn't know anything about the Emperor except what Luke knew about him. And he's the evil guy behind Vader. And that's absolutely true. Then in the prequels, you knew everything about Palpatine because his rise to power was the story. In The Last Jedi, Johnson says we learn exactly as much about Snoke as we need to.
0: Just I just admire the confidence that he has in making this story. Ray thinks after this death stroke that Kylo has chosen her. Sure. Sabers in both of their hands, they engage the guards.
1: An absolutely riveting is, stunning duel ensues. I mean, this is just one of the best shot and most stylistically entertaining lightsaber duel in the series it's It's awesome. incredible.
0: Does it matter if every single dance step in the choreography makes sense? Sometimes there are guards standing there who could be killing them and aren't I no' I don't care about them. It's gorgeous. It's awe-inspiring. And what do we always say about Star Wars duels? What really separates them beyond the visually stunning nature of them? The stakes. The relationship. Good, evil, dark light, balance. The fate of the Jedi and the Resistance and the galaxy and, most importantly, their souls. The light is dancing off the gleaming surfaces. There's fire. It is a visual symphony. Mm -hmm. And the guards, of course, are in their masks. That faceless enemy. That force that they're uniting against. And they're both nearly beaten. But then...
1: Ray invents the move that Arya will then (laughs) borrow. My two fucking queens. I love it. Insert Game of Thrones spoiler here. She's (laughs) she's wrestling with a Praetorian guard, and her lightsaber is locked up high in her regular sword hand, and she drops it, allowing her to grab it with her off-sword hand and strike. And when she sees Ben in trouble, she throws him her saber. Luke's saber is former master's saber, his idol Anakin's saber. And he ignites it in an instant to punch through the guard's Ugh, eye. That teamwork! So fast and fluid. And it's also symbolic of their chemistry yes. and of their connection. In this throne sequence, Kylo and Ray use each other's sabers. They both dance in the dark and the light. And they're both the only ones standing at the end because they united against these challenges. There's carnage left, absolute wreckage. Yes, everywhere. The room is burning, and their feelings are in ruins as well. When yes. Ray asks him, thinking again that, that he oh, this me- this means he's come to my side. This is this is a crushing and, and she moment. She is so excited and delighted at this turn. A person who spent her whole life looking to feel this way about but someone, believing it to be true. She says, "Okay, order the first order stop, and we can save the fleet." And and you, you know. She thinks, this is it. This is victory. We've done it. And then we realize that just because he chose to fight by her side, that doesn't mean he is on her side. Yes. At at least least, not yet. At least not yet. And he says, it's time to let the old (laughs) ways die. (laughs) He says, it's time to let the old things die. Snoke. I was just listening to that song yesterday. It's great. I wonder if it was
0: subconscious because of this line while prepping this pod.
1: It's time to let the old things die. (laughs) Snoke Skywalker, the Sith, and the Jedi. (laughs) The rebels let it all die. (laughs) Obviously, this is incredibly meta Incredibly. Hey, that was great. What happened? Yeah. That was how we came here, but this is our story now. And let's yes. move to a new era. Let's let go of the ghosts of the past. And honestly, I think that while I love this and I love the metatextual aspect of it and to keep it an absolute buck, this kind of metatextual theme is in the force awakens as well. Mm-hmm. A little less authoritative perhaps, but I think this on top of like some of the story choices is what probably turned some of like the old star Wars heads, off in a, in a yeah. certain way, it's like you're watching the characters say, "Skywalker, forget forget about all that stuff." Yeah, awesome.
0: and we're we're gonna keep talking about this yeah. as we discuss Kylo and Ryan and Luke. But it's all a matter of perspective. Again, yeah, I think for us the difference is that while this bristled some fans, you know, the movie on the whole, and particularly with Luke, it embraces and examines this idea, in, I think a very healthy I agree way, with that, a progressive. Can't way. wait to talk about this. In yes. A second. So here, Kylo says. Ray, I want you to join me. We can rule together and bring an order to the galaxy. Boy, he might be more like Anakin than we thought. <laughs> that's, yeah. just, that's Anakin's pitch to Padme right there. Yep. He is conflicted, drawn to both dark and light, but also power mad, led by hubris. And Ray's reply is absolutely shattering. Don't do this, Ben. Please don't go this way. She spent her whole life looking for belonging, doesn't want to lose him like this. And she believed so fully that she could save him. And then the reveal. No, no, he says, you're still holding on. Let go. Do you want to know the truth about your parents or have you always known and you've just hidden it away? You know the truth. Say it. Say it. And this is a really remarkable sequence. So well acted. They have such great magnetic chemistry together. Such palpable emotion. Such an important, bold choice here for Star Wars that can tap into the essence here of fantasy stories. They were nobody, she says. Kylo. They were filthy junk traders who sold you off for drinking money. They're dead in a pauper's grave in the Jakku desert. You have no place in this story. You come from nothing. You're nothing, but not to me. And then he reaches out his hand. Join me. They call that negging. (laughs) And she's weeping and his face is trembling. And then he says, please, with such desperation. They both are desperate for the other person to make that choice. He needs someone to choose him, too. Let's spend a couple minutes here talking about the parentage reveal because yep. obviously it was a massive source of contention. We loved it. First, let's get a little bit of an explanation from the man who came up with this decision. To Rolling Stone on the reveal and the intent of subversion, Ryan Johnson said, I really, really believe that it has to be rooted in something that has an emotional impact. And that's the only thing that matters. Surprise is fine, but surprise by itself is cheap. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly right. The emotional and deeply rooted resonance of I am your father in The Empire Strikes Back is why we remember it, not because, oh my God, I never would have guessed that he was. To us, this was a courageous choice, especially on the heels of The Force Awakens, which, again, while we are very fond of that movie, is a. New Hope remake, this is fresh, this is new, this is bold. It fully subverted the expectations of Ray being a Skywalker, a Kenobi, mm-hmm. a Palpatine, a Snoke, some bold-faced, great, impactful Star Wars name. And crucially, in doing so, it taps into an absolutely essential elemental fantasy idea that anyone can be special. Yes. And as core as that is to the fantasy story experience, not every story actually has the courage to make that choice. Anyone can make a difference. It doesn't matter who you were born. It matters who you become. And Ray being no one and becoming someone, it's not a slight on the Skywalker name or the Skywalker saga. It is a
1: reminder that anyone can go from farmer to savior. Furthermore, for me at least, what, what I found gratifying about it was this, like I said, we're already in a story in which the immensely powerful empathize and forgive the powerful without any input from the billions of other lives that have been impacted by a a person who, you know, has killed many, many people. And so, like, the idea that this one, it wasn't just some kind of, like, royal family drama. Right. I found to be quite refreshing. Like, okay, this is not just this one kind of fucked up, weird family that just keeps having uh, certain members go bad and kill lots of people and then have to be brought back to the light. I thought that was great. Now, was this the plan? Will it remain so? As we've seen in Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, and as we've talked about on this podcast, it really feels like that there's a lot of audibles being called. Mm -hmm. How much of an overarching story there was feels like not much. Feels not like not much existing architecture. So maybe this changes. Hopefully, this is not just a red herring and will prove to remain the case. Yes. Uh, But we can't be sure. As we see in another Brian Hyatt's Rolling Stone feature, Johnson enjoyed what seemed like an almost unfathomable level of autonomy in shaping The Last Jedi story. He says no one dictated a single plot point that he simply decided what happened next, and he's baffled by fans who are concerned by the idea that they're, quote, making it up as we go along. Quote, the truth is stories are made up. That's absolutely the case. Yes. Whether somebody made this whole thing up 10 years ago and put it on a whiteboard and we'll all have to stick to that or whether we're organically finding it as we move forward, it doesn't mean that any less thought is being put into it. Intercut with Holdo's maneuver and Finn and Rose's last push, Ray reaches out her hand and we think maybe this is it. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's going to go with Ben. Yes, Clearly, there's a part of her that, that he wants, wants to, to do yes. so. She wants to save him and they are drawn to each other. Maybe they love each other. Yeah. I ship it. I I mean, I ship it too. I just think that there are certain things that need to be done in order for him to be truly redeemed. (laughs) But Ray doesn't take his hand. She reaches for Luke's lightsaber and they fight, both pulling it, the saber caught between them in the middle. The representation of their bond and their struggle, the eternal push-pull of dark and light from between us and inside of us. And of course, the representation of the past, a relic from other Jedi in another age. And then it breaks. And though Ray clearly has it in Rise of Skywalker trailers, indicating that it was repaired, here it just snaps into it. And it's an astonishing symbol again. Yes. Luke and Anakin's saber split in half, the past broken. And when Kylo wakes, Ray's gone. And he tells Hux that Ray
0: murdered Snow. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's finish this. And Hux makes the power play, and then Kylo force chokes him. Waking to see that Ray had gone, that Ray had chosen to leave him, swings him fully back into the dark. And he is a mess throughout the rest of the film. He is supreme leader now. We see most of that viciousness from him when he's interacting with Luke. So let's shift to Luke here and yes. Ray, Luke and Kylo, Luke and Yoda, Luke and the Jedi Order. Luke, our farm boy turned messiah, tough to see him in this Mm kind of way. We pick up with him right where we left off at the end of The Force Awakens, and the subversion, the the, the shock of what Luke does with the lightsaber when he takes it from Rey and throws it away. It's it's an amazing moment in the film. And amid the wonders of ahch the site of the first Jedi temple with the beautiful little pork boobies squawking, the lanai tending the land, that mysterious necklace with a red kyber crystal, a relic from a former Sith Saber and Luke's chambers, just magic and elements abound. And Luke is transformed, defeated, defined by his failure, the loss of Kylo, the slaughter of his students, the decimation of his school. And it was hard, even offensive for some fans to see him this way. For us, it just feels so human, so relatable. Mm -hmm. Dumbledore, unvarnished, mortal, fallible. Our heroes don't cease being heroes when they reveal their flaws. They become all the more relatable as a result.
1: And certainly if you want to pick the nit and hold it against The Last Jedi and Ryan Johnson for making Luke this kind of defeated figure who surrendered the Jedi Order, you have to remind yourself that Luke is in this place, in Octo, removed from his friends and family in the world because The Force Awakens Put Put him there. there.
0: Yep. Great point.
1: The movie opens with Luke Skywalker has vanished. Great point. Um,
0: (laughs) That's a great point. (laughs) Why
1: would he vanish if he wasn't upset about something? It just follows. Like, it flows from that story choice. Mark Hamill himself took a bit of convincing. Quote, this is not a joyful story to tell. Hamill told Rolling Stone, my portion of it. Johnson confirmed in Hyatt's piece that Hamill flat out told him at the start that he disagreed with the direction Luke's character was taking. Mm. We then started a conversation, says Johnson. We went back and forth after having to explain my version. I adjusted it. Interesting. His ex wing is beneath the water, his past buried. But the past also bursts in when Chewie knocks on the door. Mm. And this is how Luke finds out about Han. Because Crushed why it. would Chewie and this girl be here having arrived in the Falcon without Han? Where's Han? And where you might ask is our Luke. His response to Ray's plea for help is, you think I came to the most unfindable place in the galaxy for no reason at all? And again, The Force Awakens put him there. He's (laughs) guzzling green milk.
0: (laughs) I love the way that Ray, when she's watching, kind of looks away like it's a private act that she shouldn't see. And also that Luke just has a modern day like, now Nalgene water bottle
1: <laughs> and he's gone uh, native this is really yes. Luke Skywalker in Castaway cliff jumping fishing with a like 80 foot spear <laughs> why do it that way I, that's the way he wants to do it
0: <laughs> and when Ray hears whispers she goes to the sacred tree more on that tree coming up in the 8 and Luke follows and observes this place like the lightsaber in the last film is calling to her who are you he asks I know this place she says and there's this reverence from her dreams. It was built, Luke says, a thousand generations ago. The Jedi texts are here. Just like me, Luke says, they're the last of the Jedi religion. And this is such a somber tone. Feels right away like a farewell, but not like a dismissal You journey on. They sent you, Luke says. What's special about you? Where are you from? She says, nowhere. No one's from nowhere. Jakku. All right, that is pretty much nowhere. And it's amusing, of course, but also, multifaceted, like so much in the movie, a setup for the parentage revealing the question of who she is. And he pushes, well, why are you here? You, why are you here? Something inside of me, Ray says, has always been there, but now it's awake. The force, of course. You might've heard it's awoken. <laughs> and I'm afraid, she says. I don't know what it is or what to do with it, and I need help. You need a teacher, Luke says. I can't teach you. Ah, The meeting of the mentor, that crucial step in the hero's journey that we've talked about so much, so central to Luke's own arc, first with Ben, then with Yoda.
1: Ray needs the same. Why not? I've seen your daily routine. You're not busy. Hey, hold on. It's great stuff. This is judgmental. I loved it. (laughs) The laughs, however, do not last long. I will never train another generation of Jedi. Came to this island to die. It's time for the Jedi to end. Now, this is shocking Shocking. to hear. Yes. We have been harsh on the Jedi. I think rightly so. Their rigidity. Yeah. You're still meditating on it? Their own kind of particular brand of hubris and disconnection and arrogance certainly facilitated or at the very least turned a blind eye to Palpatine's rise. and helped usher Anakin into the Emperor's waiting arms. Yes. But ending it entirely? In speaking to Rolling Stone, Johnson addressed the patterns everyone knows about the saga and how he had to deal with them when writing. Even just as a Star Wars fan, you realize there are patterns etched into your brain of how you think it should go. It's tough because you don't want to let yourself be guided by those deep-set grooves in your brain, but you also don't want to make creative decisions just to spite those. Luke ultimately won't want that. He goes to the Falcon to the relic from his past, and he
0: sees Hans' dice, which he takes. They will be key later in the film. And then he sees R2. Oh, this is lovely. Old friend, he says. I wish I could make you understand. <laughs> it's really emotional. But I'm not coming back. Nothing can make me change my mind. And R2, crushing it as fucking always, yeah. responds by playing the Leia hologram that started this all. Me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. That was a cheap move, Luke says, but it's a great one. History and change all at once. A microcosm here for what the movie is trying so boldly to do. And also, we would be remiss not to say a reminder that
1: Luke once wanted to fuck his sister. Yeah. <laughs> Never forget. To Ray, he says, Tomorrow at dawn, I will teach you the ways of the Jedi and why they need to end. Wow. wow! <laughs> First lesson What do you know about the Force? Uh, it's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sentence was wrong. And he will, of course, call back to that during his incredible yes. duel with Kylo. The Force is not a power that you have. It's not about lifting rocks. It's another callback mm-hmm. we'll get with Ray. It's the energy between all things, a tension, a balance that binds the universe together. And it's. Really incredible to see Luke in this role, despite his reservation as teacher, when he was once the one receiving this kind of wisdom, and he he was the upstart raw kid who didn't know left from right. Such a lovely embodiment of the passage of time. The Empire comps are as strong in these sequences, only Luke is in a very different mindset than Yoda was. Breathe. Just breathe. Reach out with your feelings. And what do you see?
0: I love this The island.
1: Life. Death and decay that feeds new life, warmth, cold, peace, violence. And between it all, balance and energy, a force. Awesome. Incredible sequence. It's Cut with shots and sounds of the elements. And inside you, inside me, that same force. But if you think we're broken through, think again. And this is the lesson. The force does not belong to the Jedi. To say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. Can you feel that? And I have to say, I agree with this. The force existed before the Jedi. The Jedi is just a philosophy in how to wield the force, but they don't own it. And if the Jedi go extinct tomorrow, again, there will be force users born in the galaxy and they will learn how to wield it. And the thing I think that we both appreciate about this perspective is it takes into account the failings of the Jedi, which you have to say, are very personal to Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. He didn't grow up with a father because the Jedi ignored his father's problems, pushed him into the arms of a Sith Lord, and the result was galactic war. This is a really great point from him. Not a violation, not a betrayal. It's almost like a leveling up in a way. Yes. A broadening of the mind. Also recall that George Lucas has said, and Dave Filoni has confirmed, that everyone in theory can tap into the fourth. It's just that only some people Father, which right. is like an athletic, right. an athlete. Was, that was the he right. made. Yeah. It unnerved some to hear Luke speak in this fashion. But if you choose to recalibrate your mindset about this, is also just pretty inspiring. It's yeah. liberating. The force yes. is for everyone.
0: For all of us. I-, I love that idea. And then we get a quite jarring sequence. There's something else, Ray says, beneath the island, a place, a dark place. This, of course, is the mirror cave that we already discussed. Balance, Luke says, powerful light, powerful darkness. It's cold, Ray says. These fulcrums, these dark force locuses. The ground starts to crack, the rocks fall. It's calling me, she says. Resist it, Ray, Ray, Ray. And we can see shots of the entrance to that cave, her cave of evil test. But Luke's horror is the telling part. You went straight to the dark, he said. Kylo's pull to the light and Ray's pull to the dark are equally strong and imperative examinations and plot points. That place was calling to me, she said. It offered something you needed, Luke said. And we've talked about this so many times. That idea that Luke would ask, is the dark side more powerful? And Yoda Mm. would say, no. Faster, easier, right? You didn't even try to stop yourself, Luke says. He's afraid of this after Ben. Yeah. Can't do it again. Can't be party to it again. I've seen this raw strength only once before, he says, in Ben Solo. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Another way here in which they are connected. The sheer force of their strength, their power, and the fear that that instills in others. Second lesson. Now that they're extinct, Luke says, the Jedi are romanticized, deified. But if you strip away the myth and look at the deeds, the legacy of the Jedi is failure. Key idea here, huge, as we've yes. been discussing, hypocrisy, hubris. Luke, we can see as he is explaining his history with Kylo to Ray, blames himself so much not only for failing Kylo, but for failing Leia, who trusted him with her son. He says that Leia blames Snoke, quote, but it was me. I failed because I was Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, a legend. Now, the reason that he thinks he failed is at least in part, wrong. He failed because people are not perfect, no matter how hard they try to be. And he's failing now, here, by refusing to acknowledge that fact. Rey needs him to try. I need someone to show me my place in all this, she says. You didn't fail, Kylo. Kylo failed you. I won't. At night, Luke taps into the force to reach out to Leia, and she is in her coma, still here, but calls out to him, and he calls back. Their connection remains a beating heart Mm. in this story. And after Ray leaves following their falling out that we already discussed, Luke goes to the tree to burn it down, to literally kill the past. And then Force Ghost
1: Yoda appears. Applause in the theater. Oh my God. (sighs)
0: Shouts. We Ah, screamed. Master
1: Yoda. Young Skywalker.
0: I'm ending all of this, Luke says. The tree, the text, the Jedi, I'm gonna burn it down. And Luke stops and hesitates. And then... What does Yoda do? He calls down lightning from the sky like Zeus. Our dude, as usual, has a point to make. Yes. He's laughing. Weird old Yoda, original trilogy vibes yeah. here. And it is just absolutely wonderful
1: shit. Ah, Skywalker, he says. Missed you, have I? So it is time for the Jedi Order to end. Luke says, Time it is mm. Mm, for you to look past a pile of old books. Mm. <laughs> the Sacred Jedi text. Oh, uh-huh. Read them, have you? This is hysterical. Uh, well, I page as they were not. <laughs> yes, there's just yes, Wisdom they held. But- I do like to just
0: pause there for a second and think, like, did Luke actually not read them? Sitting it's crazy. on this island alone this for guy all this was, time? This guy's
1: been here for, what, maybe eight years? Like, Luke! Five to eight years, <laughs> and he's just like, not, hasn't read the only books on the island? I, I guess there's just a lot of military. They might, and, and, yeah, and they might be in, it's possible they're unreadable, whatever. <laughs> But that library contained nothing that the girl does not already possess. Interesting. Yoda, who himself was defined for a time by his regrets, has evolved and actualized, becoming one with the Force and attaining clarity and peace. Skywalker, still looking to the horizon, never here now. A callback to Empire and Yoda's critiques to Luke. But also the key part of Luke that we admired, thinking about what's next, what awaits, dreaming about what could happen. The need in front of your nose, hmm? I was weak, unwise. Lost Ben Solo you did. Lose Ray, you must not. And he hits Luke with his walking stick, and he could touch it. I mean, notable to
0: see a force ghost interacting with yeah. the environment in that way.
1: I can't be what she needs me to be, he says. He did my words not. Did you pass on what you have learned? And another callback to something yes. else Yoda has told him. From this point forward, everything he says
0: is just absolute yeah. fucking magic. It's incredible.
1: Another way in which this movie is at its core, honoring the past honoring as it evolves. It. Not tearing it down. Yes. And then a gift from Yoda, wisdom and light. This is so Strength, good. Strength, mastery, but weakness, folly. failure. Also, yes. Yes, failure, most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. is it's so honestly important. so true. Yes. In every aspect of life. You know, you just got to be ready to fail.
0: This is just a miracle of a moment in a series that, again, we cherish, but is so often about don't feel the thing you're feeling. Yeah, don't allow don't, yourself right. to be a human being. Pull yourself away from the attachment. To hear this from Yoda of all people is crucial.
1: Crucial. It's a gift. Yes. Luke is still learning, as we're seeing in this scene. He still needs his mentor, even now. Yes. Yoda has embraced the lessons of the past, the history, and the mistakes, rather than remaining locked in stone as some kind of statue, some kind of legend. Of course, revere, honor the past. But if you're not going to learn from it, what good does it do you? Yes. Don't be beholden to it. Don't let it cast a shadow over your future. Find your own place in a new paradigm, just as Star Wars must. Uh Luke, he says beautifully. We are what they grow beyond. Oh my god. That chilling. is the true burden of all masters. And that is <sighs> that cuts to the heart of it. And that, I think that's what's painful, you know, for a lot of fans who didn't like this movie is the feeling of a story that defined childhood. your your childhood, your consciousness as a person in the culture feeling as if it is moving past you yes. in some way. That we are that's what they be grow
0: painful. beyond is Yes. One of the best lines in Star Wars history. Luke enters the story again after internalizing this wisdom from Yoda on Crate. A stunning, stunning landscape. Worst map on Star Wars Battlefront. Looks great again. in the movie, though. Yeah. Fittingly, on Crate, the truth waits below the surface, the minerals under the salt waiting to be revealed. A lot of characters shine on Crate, including BB and Poe, darlingly reunited, Finn and Rose, Chewie and Ray back in the Falcon in the heat of battle. But this sequence is primarily about Luke, about him, all this time later, listening to Yoda, finding peace, greeting death like the third Peveril brother, gladly. The resistance is downtrodden. No one has come in response to Leia's signal. Devastating, but Luke comes. Luke still answers the hero's call, and the resistance is it's fighting in
1: chills, when oh he he chills. Oh my when god! Oh my
0: god! It's this whole sequence is incredible. They're fighting in what they call rust buckets, this World War II era esque trench battle. And Ryan Johnson, according to a David Camp Vanity Fair piece, was studying World War II movies to make this against the adats, the might. And heft of the enemy with the sun, just yeah. like the resistance's hope, setting in the distance. The mineral
1: burst popping up through the salt, red like the dark side. But seeing the Falcon take out a few TIE fighters and bank over the battlefield unmoors Kylo. There's his father's ship. Yeah. Again, Ray's flying it. The people who he thinks don't think he's enough. Mm-hmm. Blow that piece of <laughs> junk out of the sky. <gasps> Kylo gives his "no quarter, no prisoners" order, even though he knows that his mother is in there.
0: Quietly, one of the funniest moments in the movie is when Kylo gives a command and then Hux repeats it, and Kylo yeah. looks at him like, "I just said that." That the in the Hux mo- Kylo energy is so funny. That
1: in the moment when uh, you, Hux, do you think you got him? Yeah. <laughs> and then later, when when Hux is like, when Kylo wants to go down and yeah. fight Luke, and he's and Hux is like, I, I "Don't get involved," and then he throws him, and then the guy's like. <laughs> The guy who's, like, driving the shuttle's like, landing now, okay? (laughs) And speaking of Leia inside the base, she says, we fought till the end, but the galaxy has Mm. lost all its hope. The spark is out. And this is devastating to hear from her, especially. And then,
0: A new hope! Is that Luke Skywalker's music?
1: Incredible moment to see him walk into this base. Spine-tingling, hair-raising moment. Absolutely. And then just to see he and Leia together. Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher together playing these characters, looking at each other. Very That's, special. It's intensely emotional. I remember it was just like, you just felt it all throughout your body watching oh that And unbelievable. And so we're treated to this truly tender, wonderful moment between them that is ultimately their farewell. I know what you're going to say. I changed my hair. It's nice that way. Leia, I'm sorry. I know you are. I'm just glad you're here at the end. I came to face him, Leia, and I can't save him. I held out a hope for so long, but I know my son is gone. No one's ever really gone. And there's a lot of different things going on there and a lot to unpack. Letting go, but also remembering, crucially, that things, the people, the stories that we love never really leave us. As old Nan says, the stories are. The stories wait. They hold hands. And he gives her Hans Dice and kisses her head. And it is a very... Incredibly touching scene, especially now knowing that it is goodbye for them as characters and then goodbye to Carrie Fisher as an an actress. Oh, my God. It's very emotional. And then the music
0: changes. Luke gets up and makes his movie walks. He winks at 3PO, goes out to battle. Master Luke. Incredible moment. (laughs) Luke is completely and totally in command. A force projection, as we will learn, that's the reveal, and there are a lot of clues. His hair is different than it had been throughout the film. His outfit is different. We'll see he's carrying a blue lightsaber, not the green one that we know he has. His feet, when he moves, his salt on the earth does not shiver. But Luke moves here like a titan of this tale, which he is. He's like a god walking through the crowd, the way that they
1: look at him with such reverence. It's- it's this is the Western element, the gunslinger, you know? Oh like And it's religious, too. Yeah.
0: The cannon, the ram cannon, has blasted a hole through the base's door, and it's still glowing, the red embers, and he walks through it like Moses parting That's, the Red it's Sea. Incredible. Kylo sees him, and he is enraged. The earth that he's looking down on that Luke is walking out to, marred, scarred, literally scorched earth. I want every gun we have to fire on that man, he says, and he has such hate such anger for Luke who lost faith in him. And the image is astonishing. The full might and weight of the First Order, the setting sun behind them, bearing down on Luke. One person, one ray of hope. (laughs) Hux's, do you think you got him line that we mentioned is absolutely hysterical, but... The violence that we're seeing from Kylo is not amusing. It is horrifying and hard to overlook. And when Luke emerges unharmed, he brushes his shoulder. Incredible flex from our guy, Luke Skywalker. And Kylo, too blinded by his anger here, doesn't stop to ask how that happened, how he's standing there after that. Could this be a trick? He just rushes. You noted last pod that Kylo is in a rush, and you feel that here, too. Supreme Leader, Hux says, don't get distracted. But this is, <laughs> Kylo, this is Kylo's nature. Despite telling Ray to kill the past and despite him seeking to do that here with Luke, this is the great irony and the great contradiction. He is the one who can't let go. He is totally caught in the past. Did you come back to say you forgive me, Kylo says to Luke, to save my soul? And the way that Mark Hamill, as Luke, says no, with such disgust, is probably on par with Kylo killing Han, the most damning moment for Kylo and our desire to root for him. We are on Luke's side by mm-hmm. definition of this story, and seeing the way he feels about him is not something you can quickly forget. They both fire up their
1: sabers, red against blue. The sequence when Poe, despite Finn's urging to go help Luke, realizes that Luke is doing this specifically. To buy them time so they can escape. This is is so good. Electrifying. (laughs) No, no. We are the spark that'll light the fire, that'll burn the First Order down. And this is what hope looks like. Believing that even when hope seems lost, it's worth it to keep fighting, to follow the example of a lone person who's willing yeah. to sacrifice themselves. this is John pulling his sword against the entire yes. cavalry at the Battle of the Bastards. Amid three PO's hilarious again, odds <laughs> reading. <laughs> this is a rough one. Poe realizes that the little crystal critters are gone. Love them. There has to be another way out. And they follow in a literal shining beacon of hope. Yes. And light to follow Poe says follow me in <laughs> Leia. It's hilarious. What are you looking at me for? Follow him. This is incredible. Wonderful Meta-moment once again in this movie. This is our future now. now. This is our story now. On the podcast Creative Processing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Ryan Johnson said, quote, I think the instant you start thinking in terms of how do you not step outside of the bounds of what the original movies did, you're not thinking the way the people who made the original movies. That's so—honestly, that's it. George Lucas was never like, oh, what are the boundaries of these movies? He was like, no, let's blow past these boundaries. Yes, he continues, with every movie, they were pushing it forward. With every movie, they were stepping outside those bounds and pushing the characters into new, emotionally honest, but surprising places. That's why those movies are great. That's why they're alive. He's right. I mean, obviously, that's the thing I absolutely agree with. Ray's looking for them as they look for their way out and they reach the end, and it's blocked by rocks. Uh-huh. The critter can get through because he's a little tiny little baby. Kobe. But they can't move these rocks, symbolic. Yes. Can we push through this blockade? The weight of these uh-huh. expectations. And Ray from the outside, lifting rocks, she ah. says. And the irony here. Delicious. Back out front, Kylo
0: charges, and his feet are moving the salt, but Luke's again are not. I failed you, Ben, Luke says. I'm sorry. Again. Echoes Shades of Obi-Wan's lines to Anakin on Mustafar. I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. That pain is real. Mm -hmm. That connection between Kylo and Vader is also real. They are at fault. They are culpable, but they also were failed by someone to an extent. I'm sure you are, Kylo shouts.
1: Incredible. His intensity is off the charts.
0: Like a howling, howling like a wounded animal here in, in agony. The resistance is dead, he says. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. And here it is, yeah. the mirror line from Luke that he said to write earlier. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. And then, in a really stunning sequence, we cut between all of our figures. As Luke is talking and the music is surging, the hope surges too, Poe and Leia and Finn, all of them. Their eyes alight as they see Ray move the rocks. And we hear Luke say against that image, The rebellion is reborn today. I'm going to cry. I'm getting really emotional. I love this. The war is just beginning and I will not be the last Jedi. And that's about Rey. But it's also about our story. Embracing the future does not have to mean forgetting what came before it. The Force, remember, connects all things. And Luke, as much as anyone, has remembered this.
1: Kylo says, I will destroy her and you and all of it. But Luke turns off his saber instead. He says, no, strike me down in anger and I will always be with you. And this is just like Obi-Wan with Vader from A New Hope. Just like your father. And that absolutely cuts right to Kylo's heart. And his saber is crackling just as his rage is. And he charges a ferocious charge and takes a full swing at Luke, cutting right through him, sliding on the salt. There's nothing there. It's an illusion. He turns back and pokes at him. A projection, a subversion uh-huh. of expectations, of intention, of force power. And Kylo is horrified. He has been duped. Yes. And duped in front of his entire army.
0: And as as the other people that he was pursuing got away.
1: We cut to Luke on Octo, hair long, cloak tight, floating in the air, every ounce of his strength going into the concentration required to maintain Yes. This incredible illusion, the kind of thing that Luke, who first went to Dagobah, would have absolutely called impossible yes. if he could have even imagined it. An incredible ev- evolution and display of might and faith. No, Kylo says. See you around, kid. <laughs> Just
0: incredible line. Unboyable. And then he fades. And on Octo, Luke collapses as the sun sets and then he pulls himself up. All the strength drained from him. This great, effort, this great choice and dedication. And he looks out into the setting sun, the close of this chapter. But the sun will rise again, just as Holdo reminded Poe earlier in the film. Leia and Ray can both feel through the force that Luke mm-hmm. is fading away. And he sits and he gazes out. This is really an incredible, incredible thing. A be- a the beautiful. force theme surging As he looks out onto the horizon, a truly stunning, moving bookend to, of course, Binary Sunsets moment from A New Hope. There, he was restless, so eager, so full of longing. Now he is content. He is at peace. He knows that he's lived a life and that also nothing really ends. He has passed on what he has learned to Ray and to us. He has lived. He has loved. He has answered the call. And now he fades away. Isaac. No for Luke Skywalker. No! No!
1: Maybe some milk drinking sounds too. Inside the base, Kylo finds Hans Dice, proof that his mother was there and a reminder of his father and his family and the humanity he is trying to leave behind. He looks up and he sees Rey through the force. And Snoke's gone, so this connection is now part of them, intrinsic to them, or controlled perhaps by another hand that we can't see. And he looks at her with a really mysterious look, longing perhaps, and she shuts the door on him. He chose wrong. Will he be able to remedy that later on the ship it's a lot of lovely moments. Ray touching BB8's antenna. Poe meeting Ray. I'm Poe. I'm Ray. I know. I R2 it. and 3 PO <laughs> back together. Chewy hugging Leia. Finn covering Rose with a blanket as Ray watches. Quietly sad moment for Ray. And we see that Ray took those Jedi texts. Gotta imagine they'll be important later. Leia sits with Ray. Leia, another connection for Ray to the Jedi, to the force. She says, Luke is gone. I felt it. But it wasn't sadness or pain. It was peace and purpose. And what an incredible way of looking at it a sacrifice, a decision to save and heal, and a readiness for what's beyond. I felt it too, Leia says. How do we build a rebellion from this? Ray asks, and they look around the the hold, and this is all that's left. And she's holding the broken lightsaber. Leia's reply We have everything we need.
0: (laughs) That was so <laughs> good! Oh my god, I'm emotional.
1: Return we will. After word from our sponsors. Binge Boat Star Wars. is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once, like a fender bender when you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk
0: to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text over the phone in person or using the State Farm app. Ah, Flynn went today at statefarm.com. Today's
1: show is also brought
0: to you by the Google Assistant.
1: The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice. In the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. When you're driving and want to listen to this podcast, hands-free, just say, Hey, Google. Play the latest episode of the Binge Mode podcast.
0: All right, here's the latest episode of Binge Mode, Star Wars, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, Star Wars. Hey, Google, pause podcast. A little help, hands free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. And now back to Binge Mode. Let's talk about Leia, some more, plus Poe, the homie Holdo. Sure. The Resistance. In other words. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? From the film's opening moments, it's very clear that the Resistance is going to be under relentless attack in this movie, that we are going to really feel the brunt of being the David in this particular war with Goliath. And much of the movie outside of the predominant Kylo, Ray Luke plot hinges on exploring the relationship to fighting, to being willing to fight and to knowing how to fight. It's that Quote, it was important Dumbledore said to fight and fight Mm -hmm. again and keep fighting for only then could evil be kept at bay, though never quite eradicated. Idea from Half-Blood Prince that we love so much. And Poe wants to fight. He does. He wants to act, but he has a lot to learn, despite BB's best head pushing efforts about what leadership looks like and yes. all the many forms that courage can take. And that is his journey in this film. And it is a constant surprise for him, whether somebody is challenging him or encouraging him. He is evolving in response to that new stimuli.
1: Watching him kind of, like, grapple with the responsibilities of leadership is, like, one of the most interesting things about mm-hmm. this movie because he's obviously an ace pilot, an incredible fighter. Yeah but when it comes to like understanding the responsibilities that a leader has to uh, the other people in the organization he kind of just doesn't get it he doesn't he doesn't like he's not able to see that the board in that way the way that Leia did the way that Holdo did yeah um to understand that yes it'd be great to knock out a dread right not right now let's that would be fantastic but also like you have a responsibility to make sure all these other people are safe and can continue doing their jobs and that we can escape here to fight another day at some point. It's very much a battle war yes. thing for him. <laughs> but first, the bits. Ah, the bits. Poe faces down the First Order Dreadnought all alone in his X-Wing. This a light fighter. Puts in a call to General Hux. General Hugs, he says. <laughs> and it's a... F- Really cute gambit, and it shows us two things. One, the movie is heavy and dark, but it's also willing to be light uh-huh. at times to give you that contrast between dark and light through the tone of the movie. He's going for the dreadnought. Huh, he's insane, Huck says. By the way, again, Donald Gleason, incredible work in this movie. It's crushing. And, it. and just a short shout out for the prosthetic eyebrow uh-huh. hair. <laughs> That they, like, threaded in there. They bushed up those eyebrows. It's lush. It's beautiful. Looks like the forest of Starkiller base out there. It really does. And two, the David versus Goliath desperation of what the Resistance is facing. There's a guerrilla aspect to their Uh tactics. Yes, they beat Starkiller and they took out that base. But at what cost? They lost a lot of fighter craft. Starkiller managed to destroy their core capital systems in the process. And now their position is exposed their secret base is exposed they have fewer numbers worse odds but they have heart and they have grit and they have a real dedication to what their fight is about there's a cause there's a real cause there and it's and you contrast that with the first order who are literally kidnapping people and brainwashing them so that they will yeah. fight for them
0: also Jason never tell them the odds
1: don't ever can do can you and c3po just stop telling me I don't understand the why odds. after all these years you're still telling me the odds <laughs>
0: Poe just absolutely cannot, on any level of who he is, find it in himself to heed Leia's orders to pull he back. Can't. He's not capable of it. These things are fleet killers, he says. We can't let it get away. And he's a bit like Stannis in this moment, which is, you know, very damning true. with faint praise, I guess, because true. brilliant military tactician, but also, you know, spoiler, wound up dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it does, a moment like this with Poe makes you think of that Classic Stannis mindset and line, we march to victory or we march to defeat, but we go forward, only forward. Poe is so fully, right now, at this point in his arc, programmed
1: that way. And his flying is absolutely, as we've come to expect, electric and daring and full of panache. It's great. The BB head push and po thruster push are truly, like, wow moments. When he zips that thing around. And he, like, pulls it and, like, there's, like, some body language where you feel him spinning around. You feel the physicality of flying there. He's really great at conveying that, like— I'm flying this beast with my body with like it, almost like the way a surfer would throw their weight huh? into a turn. Like he does that. Also, it's great to just see B.B. in action. Oh, my God. Like what a show off sequence for him. And you really see. What a show off movie for him. Really, show uh, An incredible show off <laughs> movie. But you really see He's like, man, he is in every minute. Every second and every moment of this flight, he's keeping this X-wing from coming apart like all the time. He's a lord, an absolute lord. Absolutely incredible. But the bombing sequence, which, you know, it's a success, I guess, like a Pyrrhic victory, is a debacle, debris from one of the exploding bombers hitting another, only one bomber left to charge into the breach. Paige, Rose's sister, her sacrifice really enforces that these are people who are willing to die for mm-hmm. what they believe in. And this is how the movie opens.
0: Yes. This is the tone setter for what we're going to see throughout. Are you willing to lay down
1: everything that you have and believe in? And B, it tells you how one person can make a difference, but also how they're on the verge of victory and defeat always. all at once. It's always just on the verge of coming apart this mm-hmm. entire endeavor. Yep. They have very few forces left. Their bomber wing is decimated. The First Order is ascendant. And they're still a threat, but they're also a threat to be wiped out at any moment. As Leia says after her elite, get your head out of your cockpit shot That's in amazing. response to Pose. <laughs> there were heroes on that mission, insistence. Dead heroes. No leaders. There's that. Oh, brutal. After the kind of like, swell of triumph after the dreadnought gets taken down and there's that cheer on the on the cat on leia's capital ship and she kind of does the the admiral Akbar like slump into her chair and, really, and then you see the display and then she looks yeah. at the display and it's like all the bombers gone gone yep. unbelievable their main leader leia is sidelined after the attack on the cruiser which we've already discussed from kylo's perspective hux's line what is the point of all this if we can't blow up three tiny cruisers? Is a nice summation of where they stand at that moment. And not- where the franchise
0: stands. There's a meta quality to that.
1: Yeah. You know, if you don't feel like you can try to blow it up every now and then, why have all the toys? Right, exactly. What are we here to do in the end of it? When her theme kicks in and she reaches out her hand using the force to propel herself back to the fleet, it's shocking. It was a galvanizing moment in the theater. I remember thinking oh, this is it. We're going to watch Princess Leia die. And then that hand goes out and you're just like, oh. It was a lot to grapple with and really amazing. That's one of the ways that our expectations were subverted in
0: that moment is because, you know, you can't fully separate real life from the experience of entering the theater to see one of these films. And you know, tragically, going into The Last Jedi that Carrie Fisher has died in real life. And so you are fully expecting that. You are expecting to say goodbye to Leia. And then when you realize that that's not happening, it is a genuine... It was amazing. Shock. Yeah. And there was a lot of... This was one one of the handful of things in the film that the backlash contingent came for. Oh, it's cheesy. Oh, it's cheap. Oh, it doesn't make sense that this would be when we finally saw Leia use her Force powers. But I think from our perspective and from the perspective of many fans who are deeply invested in Leia's arc, it was a thrill to see her tap into the Force. And we can only hope that we will get to learn more about her journey with the Force. And the question should not be, again, everyone's free to think what they want. But from our perspective, the question should not be,
1: how can you justify doing this here? It's, why did it take this long? I, 100%. That's the thing, like, how can you justify doing this here? Where else are we going to see this? And also, it's not
0: like it's some invention. You know, we have known since Return of the Jedi that Leia was
1: much to Luke's chagrin. There's there's an ocean <laughs> of EU material that explores Leia's yes, absolutely. Force training and
0: but even just in the primary films, yeah. you know, we know we get the force run strong in my family and in your family lines, you know, from Luke and Yoda. We've been trained since the original trilogy. Again, even if you're only consuming the main movies to understand that Leia Is a force user. Even back before we knew that she was Luke's sister in Empire, the way that Luke calls to her using the force at the end of the film, and she hears him. She is a force user. This has always been a part of her story, and it is just a wonderful thing to finally get to see her on the big, big screen tapping into that.
1: As she recovers, and there's that really wonderful moment as Poe takes her hand, we realize that the losses have been heavy. Yes. Admiral Akbar, all our leadership there gone. Akbar wow. dying here was a blow. A that blow was- to you because you're like, I didn't you know I get to eat his body. I mean, now. A, he was like, a, him and ratus, truly like strategic geniuses. And like, you had real, let's be honest, real Dolores
0: Ed vibes from you. Didn't know Batman could smell so good. You know, <laughs> you just want to eat the corpse. R.I.P. Akbar. R.I.P. Akbar. Listen, yeah, we're not doing the crawl today. Let's give him a no. No! no! Give us the sound of some uh, calamari sizzling. sizzling in the frying pan. I'm sorry. I apologize to Admiral Akbar and his family. Can I say one more thing about Akbar? I'm sorry. Sure. We were privileged enough to see this film together yes. when it first came out. And there was so much to discuss in the movie. Yes. You're processing a million things. Yes. We talked for like five hours after. Yes. I think literally the first thing you said, if I remember correctly, was. Admiral Ackbar died in a trap, and no
1: one said anything. I know that was the thing. Do <laughs> so you two want to talk about like the irony of his life becomes an absolute icon outraged. and a meme lord for sniffing out a trap yeah. and exclaiming, "It is a trap!" Listen, life is full of these little ironies, and here he is again, now <laughs> perishing in a trap, and it's gone un- unremarked stated, upon. Unremarks upon. Nobody has anything By his to say. Fellows, about. awful. Enter Vice Admiral Holdo. Holdo! Tapped in this moment of crisis to lead the tattered remains of the fleet. Great, great shot there of Poe when he thinks it's going to be him. And she says, 400 of us on three ships. We're the very last Mm. of the resistance, but we're not alone. In every corner of the galaxy, the downtrodden and oppressed know our symbol, and they put their hope in it. We are the spark that will light the fire that will restore the Republic. That spark, this resistance must survive. That is our mission. Now to your stations and may the force be with you. Star Wars is not known for its speeches. Like it's Mm -hmm. not like Henry V, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But this was a good one. Absolutely. A mission statement for the film and indeed the saga. I mean, this is what it's about. All of these stories in the main movies, the animated series, the comic books, which span centuries of fictional history. It's about this. Resisting the powers of oppression. And it's an incredible tease for the moment that comes later in the film with the broom boy on mm-hmm. Counterbite, who we'll get to, and the core idea represented by that, that there's a possibility and a connection everywhere within this film. And the story here, the things, the fight that they're carrying on, it's not just this particular battle. It's about inspiring other people to fight as That's well. That's
0: right.
1: It doesn't immediately
0: feel that way to Poe. Of course, one of the heartbeats at the end of the film is him parroting back these words from Holdo to help motivate Finn and other people. But here, he's deeply opposed to every action that Holdo is taking. And her response? Wasn't it Leia's last official act to demote you? (laughs) Even though Holdo will later to Leia express an admiration for Poe's spirit, right here she's not into it at all she says i've dealt with plenty of trigger happy fly boys like you she calls them impulsive she calls them dangerous and even though they have robust vibrant sexual chemistry together i think we can agree
1: they do they definitely just need to just go fuck there's a lot of heat there i think that grounds them she looks at poe and she's like man i've eaten and chewed up and spit out boys like you my entire career she'll digest him in her pit. My God. (laughs) Poe decides not to tell Holdo about Finn and Rose's plan, but he pushes her on her. The resistance is coming apart at the seams. I mean, there's like treason happening left, right, and center out here. Tell us we have a plan, he shouts at her, that there's hope. A leader is a crucial figure, not just for the strategic direction and the tactical planning, but like to kind of like hold a fighting force together. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all what Poe is learning in the moment it, just like we are Holder's answer is essential and something we we're reminded of in Luke's final moments quote when I served under Leia she would say hope is like the sun if you only believe in it when you can see it Poe completes her thought you'll never make it through the night
0: incredible line incredible idea when Poe notices that Holdo is fueling the transports, though he snaps. They have these little steps forward and then these colossal pushes backward. We're abandoning ship. He calls her a coward. He calls her a traitor. And it's a pretty unpleasant sequence to watch. And after he makes his last appeal to try to buy Rose and Finn time for what they're doing, which he has now revealed, and she denies him, he stages a coup. We get this amusing bit of levity from 3PO. It would be quite against my programming to be party to a mutiny. Uh. And then Leia wakes up. And she knocks out Poe, blasts him. Holdo, as they're loading his now unconscious body onto one of the transports, says, that one's a troublemaker. I like him. And Leia says, me too. And that moment is really nice Mm. and really crucial because it, to that point, has been a film about tension and disagreement for these parties. But it reminds you that they are all on the same side and that they are united in their effort, even if
1: it doesn't always feel that way. There's a nice kind of like mirror parallel moment in the First Order when after... Uh, Hux is walking out of Snoke's throne chamber after relaying the success of the tracking device that has allowed them to follow the resistance through hyperspace. And Kylo Ren is walking in. They have the, the Hux kind of smirks at him and they pass each other. And then finally, Snoke says to Kylo Ren, and you wonder why I, I keep, keep a rabbit rabid cur, cur yeah. around. That's kind of in a different way what Leo and, and Holder are saying here. Like, yes, he's wild and reckless, but. There's some spunk there. <laughs> we need that wild recklessness sometimes. Sometimes that's the only thing that will get mm-hmm. the mission done. Holder reminds Leia, someone needs to stay behind to pilot the cruiser. Droids pilot ships. So we're not sure. Don't totally get this. Yeah. D- not sure why that needs to happen, but maybe they don't have a droid that can pilot that ship. This is I, lo- I love this movie. This is yeah, one yeah. of the puzzles for yeah, me. Yeah, droids, still. droids pilot ships all the time. And Leia says, Too many losses I can't take anymore. Sure you can. You taught me how.
0: May they the, both say
1: at the same time. Yeah, may the, may force. the force. You go on. I've said it enough. May the force be with you always. And it's a, a nice moment and a handoff and yep. yet another handoff and another person willing to lay down their life for Leia and for her leadership and for the cause. And this was a sad moment because Laura Dern, first of all, is amazing. Holdo really like impress her personality on this film and held the resistance together in a time where it was like, I mean, literally mutinies are taking place. Uh And so it's sad to not have her be able to hand off to someone else. Mm
0: -hmm. The Um, reason I like that, though, is because, you know, so much of this movie and so much of this trilogy is about establishing this next generation of icons, these people that we're going to remember when we grow old and that we're going to tell our next generation about. And Holdo was just a blip. But that matters, too, And everybody has their hand in it, even if it's fleeting. And I think that's an important thing to remember, and that not all of the movies always make time for those reminders. And I'm glad that this one did. I think it's why we both love Rogue One so
1: much. Yes, exactly. Poe wakes up and learns that they're headed to the Salt World Crate. Lovely. A long-abandoned, uncharted Rebel base from back in the Rebel days. Heavily armored, it can withstand a bombardment. From there, using the power source in that base, they can get a distress signal out to their, hopefully, allies throughout the galaxy. This was Holdo's plan. The First Order is tracking the big ship, not the lifeboats, which are cloaked. Leia uses this as another teachable moment for Poe. Quote, she was more interested in protecting the light than she was in seeming like a hero, which is a smackdown of Incredible. incredible proportions. It's not all about the show and this performative dash and daring. Holdo from her window as she watches them go. Godspeed, rebels, which is like, oh, my God. This whole sequence is amazing. And
0: then when Holdo sees that the transports are under fire due to DJ ratting them out and passing along the intel to the First Order, turns the ship around and makes her now famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, maneuver. And we will talk about the maneuver at length when Jason gets to today's Jedi Temple. No matter how you feel about the canonical coherence of this, which is what Jason will be explaining, it is a jaw-dropping moment in the film. And really, like, across Star Wars, she's running away. No, she isn't, Poe says. And to see that he, the detractor,
1: recognizes her heroism in that moment is so rewarding. I love the way it unfolds because as she does it, both the Resistance and the First Order begin to realize yes. what is about to happen. Yes. Revelation is dawning for everyone
0: yes. at once. And when Holdo jumps, the sound is just sucked out. I love that. I of think that's the movie. great choice. <laughs> it's heart pounding. There's silence and then there's light and Snoke's supremacy and the ships in his fleet split apart. The air splits apart and then the sound and the light pulse back in. And it is just astonishing, really a truly marvelous not only sacrifice, but a bit of movie making. And it is also, of course, a sequence that is very emblematic of the backlash and the split. People got really hung up on what they perceived as a violation of their understanding of Star Wars and the rules of Star Wars. Instead of appreciating the subversion, appreciating the desire to... Do something different and do something surprising and to lean into and embrace the fact that canon is, especially in Star Wars, always evolving and also to appreciate the themes that are on display in a moment like this.
1: Yeah, my thing is, you know, to George's point about the trilogies, about The Force Awakens specifically, show me the thing that I haven't seen before. I value that more than, listen, obviously canon is important too and it's important to establish rules so that we understand how. that is crucial science fiction and fantasy and star wars really is more fantasy than sci-fi yes that's important but show me the thing i've never seen before and ryan johnson did that this movie did that and it was really stunning
0: yeah the capacity for sincere surprise is really a gift yeah and i don't need to repeat everything you just said i agree with you completely understanding the rules in a fantasy universe is imperative we talk about it all the time it's also imperative that you enter a story believing that you might see something new and different that you that's
1: haven't seen what ke- I mean, that's what keeps driving you forward through these stories. Otherwise, it's just like another lightsaber fight, another redemption, another massive super weapon, and another space battle. Exactly. Like, show me the thing that I've never seen. Exactly. Finn Rose and BB-8. Let's do it. My here, dude, BB-8. Here we have arrived at one of the maligned i hate the word divisive Uh people disagree on this Uh storyline but even though it doesn't all work i think it clearly does not all work there's a lot of charm and there's heart here and some thematic resonance as usual john boyega is energetic and vibrant and great and kelly marie tran gives a really heartfelt emotional performance that has like is like simmering with a lot of like sublimated anger with which i really appreciated like that moment when she's like, "Look closer," and you can see yeah. all like the bad shit going on here. She doesn't deserve a degree of the shit that she's taken online. I think that goes without saying. Yeah, she she had to delete her Instagram post after being harassed for fans for months, and eventually wrote a New York Times op-ed standing up for herself, which is like the fact that that has to be a part of her life. So awful, is, because of a Star Wars movie. Is this really? It's shitty, terrible in a way that is infuriating. Terrible. We. I have to note, of course, that
0: Finn's The Last Jedi plot begins with his version of Luke's back-to-tank from Hoth. It's like a back-to-bag. Yeah, he's in a different apparatus. (laughs) You know, the tech and the nature of the apparatus is different. But he's in his version of a healing bubble, basically, right down to the trunks. At least he's not in the same, like, literal diaper that Luke was in. And what are his first words when he wakes? Ray hits his head, shouting "Ray" When Poe sees him and... Says, oh, you must have so many questions. His first question, where's Ray? Ray, Ray, Ray. Mm-hmm. That's what's on his mind. Not that we had any doubt after The Force Awakens, but Finn is in love with her. And he takes that beacon that's connecting Leia and Ray. But for him, it's very clear Ray really is the beacon. Yes. But Rose is the woman in his life in this movie. They are aligned. And his meet cute with Rose comes as he's trying to flee the fleet to protect Ray, He wants to get the beacon away from the fleet, which he calls doomed, so that Ray won't return to it and die. Rose, who just seconds before that had been gushing about meeting a Resistance hero in, in really interesting and almost mirror fashion to how Finn himself was talking about Han yeah. when he met him aboard the Millennium Falcon in the prior film. This, again, highly meta moment that reinforces that Finn and our new characters are the heroes. They're the heroes for a new generation not only of characters, but of fans. And Rose cannot believe that the person she felt that way about is trying to leave. You're a selfish traitor, she says. Of course, she's going to try to save someone. Right. But still, to Rose, who is mourning her sister Paige, the bomber who gave her life in the opening sequence and then carried the other half of the necklace that will play such a key role in the film, the idea of leaving for any reason is it's reprehensible. It's vile. Finn, though, is like back in that Takodana mindset from The Force Week. It's deflated, worried, because of the first-hand knowledge, because of his own personal history in the First Order, really thinks this is an enemy that we can't beat. And one of the joys of his arc in this film will be seeing him again push beyond that to rediscover
1: his belief. But when Finn, trying t- to feel his numbed teeth after Rose stunned him, great stuff, blabbers about the First Order tracking device and their ability to follow the fleet through light speed, suddenly their technical know-how It combusts in this, like, chemistry of nerd activity, Mm -hmm. and they bond suddenly. And remember, this seems new, but we got a tease for it in Rogue One Uh. when, when Jim found on Scarif the file labeled hyperspace tracking. Yes! Rose says, active tracking. Hyperspace tracking is new tech, but the principle must be the same as any active tracker. And they realize they're only tracking the lead ship, and they realize something else. They can try to stop it. Also, it's one of the many moments where Hope is just presented as a, it's just like a tiny ember that needs to be blown on, that yes. needs to be protected. A gust can snuff it out, but if you can just tend to it, yes. it can ignite. And so they team up. Finn can get them to the goal, never underestimate the sanitation team. And it's Listen, sanitation, here's the thing about sanitation. You've been everywhere. You go everywhere. You know it all. You see every part of the ship. Yep. You see every single part of it. Yeah. Every part needs to be cleaned up and have the garbage empty. Man, check out Killing Eve season two. <laughs> yes. You know? That's all i say. Thank you very much. Rose, meanwhile, has the technical know-how to disable the tracker. The fleet can escape before the First Order even realizes that this has occurred. But teams only function on trust, and so Rose's decision not to rat out Finn and his attempted escape to Poe is crucial. When they ask Moz for help, we get an iconic Moz moment. This is just amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. Iconic. Threebi says, "It sounds like this Codebreaker fellow can do everything," and she says, "Oh yes, he can." And then, notably, yeah, Finn and Rose look, look at, at each, each other, other yeah. with a they fucking <laughs> look. A hundred percent. The
0: implication is could not be more clear. Well, I mean, the way that Ma says it, it's like this is you know the great moment in Fleabag season two. Like nine times, Did you come nine times. Like. <laughs> Feels like that's what <laughs> the experience that Moz had with the code breaker. I, you Great know, look for Justin Justin
1: Thoreau. Thoreau, as we know, one of the true zaddies <laughs> of pop culture. He's one of these not secret jacked guys.
0: Oh, yeah. It's out there.
1: He's out there. He's one of these guys that it's like men's fitness. Find out how Justin Thoreau gets yoked. <laughs> guys, he is ripped. And Moz, congratulations on that one. Points them to Cantobite, yeah, where the code breaker is hanging out. Apparently, just uh, you know, wagering on the races, playing the slots, yeah. doing whatever one does on Cantobite. Yeah, fucking some to hunt year for a person with a red plum bloom in his lapel, and to Cantobite we go. Oh boy! In some ways, like this is a classic Star Wars cantina mix, more like an upscale cantina. In mm-hmm. others, a diversion from the thrust of the film. It's not the strongest part, for sure. But there's some stuff here to to admire, namely the reminder that in a story about light and dark, good and evil, sometimes it's all connected in ways we don't see. And she sets, Rose sets it up, giving that moment uh, where she says, you know, she hands Finn the binoculars and says, you know, look closer. It's full of the worst people in the galaxy. Look beneath the glitz and the glam and you'll see something truly appalling. War profiteers. Yes. Arms dealers. People who are making their living, and it's a very good living, off of death and suffering, and the death and suffering of others. Other people, that's right. And when she zooms in like that, and they see the literal
0: scars, you know, on the the father's bodies, and it's really heart-wrenching. And it, it coincides with Rose sharing with Finn her own personal history and the kind of place that she came from and the exposure that she's had throughout her life to this kind of suffering and exploitation and oppression and she came from something like this and yeah. when when your life when your home when your family has been mined for someone else's gain it leaves a mark on more than just the land that you had to leave behind and in that sense this
1: plotline and this sequence is very effective this is what i loved about this plotline yes some of it doesn't work and it is very maguffiny but it connects the story to i think An idea that has not been explored that much within the main Star Wars films, which is this idea of how this war continues, the corporations that support it, the suffering of normal people throughout the galaxy is really something that is in the sweep and scope of these films is necessarily kind of ignored. And, And the attempt to connect this kind of overarching great galactic war with the suffering of people that would usually be ignored, I think is important. And I think is a thing that could be mined more for some real emotional depth in this series. Yes, I completely agree. The arrest
0: sequence ultimately is a plot convention that basically lets BB-8 flex and then puts them with DJ, yes. with Vinicio Del Toro. But we get BB apprehending the guards on his own, sort of going, you know, blowing out yeah. the, the smoke from great. his little laser gun. He's just crushing it. Later, he's going to actually helped to rescue Finn and Rose on a ship that he and DJ commandeered. Remember that Kylo line from The Force Awakens? The droid yeah. Stole a freighter. Here's your payoff for it. Wonderful. Finn and Rose are ready to be rescued in that ship in the first place because they freed the Fathers, these sweet beasts, these gentle giants who are being Great chained. Oh, they're just... The ears are beautiful. Yeah. Baby yoda ears. Baby
1: Yoda ears. When they're...
0: At the stables, before they free them and before they ride them through to the escape, when they're looking at them, it's very reminiscent of Harriet the Zoo looking at the snake, like, bred in captivity. Great and the comp. way that you see your pain and can relate across that barrier, even though your circumstances are completely different, that, that type of suffering is the same. And crucially, they meet three children there, who will play a pivotal role in the yes. film's closing moments, which we'll talk about shortly, and they help them escape here, ultimately, after a rousing speech from Rose about the resistance, about the fight. She flashes the symbol on her ring, that symbol that Holdo said meant so much to so many people. When they're on the ship, fancy ride. Bentley esque cruiser. Yeah. And DJ asks for payment. Despite Finn's protest, Rose hands over that he's in smelt necklace, which will come into play on the supremacy. It's what DJ will, will use. Great conductor. But we know how much it means to Rose. What else means that much to her? This fight, willing to make sacrifices. You see that in so many different ways for all of the different characters. And then there's this highly illuminating exchange between Finn and DJ. At least you're stealing from the bad guys and helping the good, Finn says. And DJ says, bad guys, good guys, made up words. And he calls up the log on the ship, an arms dealing ship, we realize. Ships for the First Order. You see a TIE fighter, et cetera. The bad side. Okay, what's next? An X-wing. Oh, DJ says, and the good. It's a reminder of the strange bedfellows that war breeds and makes. You know, you were just mentioning one of the things that the Cantobite sequence seeks to explore is the people who are exploiting that. And that complex that springs up around the war, the business of war, is not something that the films have time for a lot, but we do get a little bit of it here. He says, Finn, let me learn you something big. It's all a machine, partner live free, don't join. And that's quite a message to parse because so much of Star Wars is about the exact opposite about it. It is about the privilege and the purpose that you find in joining when you can muster up the courage and the belief to tell yourself and to tell other people that it's worth it. But it is important. It is fundamentally important to consider the other side of that and to realize that the other side is not actually the enemy that you're fighting because the enemy believes too. It's the people who have opted out entirely. And it's cool that this movie I, takes a few minutes to ask us to think about
1: that. I could not agree more. You know, there's a thing that happens in a, in serialized storytelling that follows a formula where, like, the accrued force of the narrative— opens up these other doorways to explore. i you know I think often of like Batman and the Joker and the fact that like Batman won't kill the Joker because of his code. Right. and the narrative knock on effect in this fictional universe is that, like you could really argue that Batman is is responsible for multiple deaths because of his inability to just like finish off the joker. And this is kind of what we're getting here that here's this like endless cycle of warfare that's been going on for. You know, like back to the Clone Wars and then the Galactic Uh Civil War and now this one. And then you could go back even further than that. And it absolutely makes sense that there would be people in the galaxy who go, listen, Republic, Empire, forget about it. I'm out. Like, I'm out for myself because everybody else is. Like, I'm not looking to get blown up on a freighter like all these other suckers. I'm out. I think that exploring that idea of people who are like, I don't want any of this Uh is— Really important and really interesting. Or so, I, I know other people on it, so yes. I want to use
0: that to my game.
1: Yes, exactly. The mission aboard Snoke's ship is equal parts delight. BB in a trash bin. Yes. Any BB moment is it's great. A dis- disguise. And tense. Around DJ. evil BB. <laughs> I don't DJ, and who didn't see this fucking I, comment? I color me stunned. <laughs> <laughs> betrays them. <laughs> we got caught,
0: he says. I cut a deal, but worse. I do love the just unvarnished pragmatism of yeah, that. Yeah, hey, listen, I did it. What are you going to do? You mean nothing
1: to me. But worse, he passes on intel about the resistance plan to escape on the cloaked transports. And there's an amusing Hux moment. He told us the truth. Will <laughs> wonders never cease. Painful, but impactful moment for DJ and Finn as Finn and Rose are under. The control of the stormtroopers. in And power. then DJ says something that I think really sums up his entire ethos. Yes. They blow you up today. You blow them up tomorrow. It's just business. You can't depend on this guy. You obviously can't trust him. And he is in most situations going to be a person that you should not be in any kind of business with. That said, he's got a little bit of a point. And I think it's a point worth exploring within this story. Right. So when Finn says you're wrong and he says maybe. Yeah. This, I love that, too. Incredible.
0: And yeah. like this, to me, is actually, in terms of our themes, subverting expectations, killing the past, all that, this is no different, actually. Yes. Or it's all of a piece with Luke getting lost in his sense of failure and regret and questioning the Jedi Order, which we've obviously already talked about at length today. Why are they similar? It's because it is not actually a betrayal of the core ideals of the story to voice those things. It is an acknowledgement that life is varied yes. and that people have different perspectives and views and that if you can find your way through that, if yes. you can find your way forward and hold on to your hope as other people are saying that around you or yeah. as you are questioning it yourself, it's all the more meaningful
1: and worthwhile when you make it out to the other side. I, I could not agree more. And at some point, listen, the thing that I, I appreciate about the DJ perspective is, you know, zoom out, right? Princess Leia, rebel leadership, resistance leadership. New Republic only lasted like 30 years. Like, what are you guys doing wrong? Uh Do you share in any of the blame for the things that have happened, for not meeting the threats in a timely manner, for maybe much in the way the Empire did, attempting to control too much your reach outstripping your actual grasp? What is your role in all this? And I think, DJ, (laughs) that perspective allows you to critique the heroes in this film, and yes. I think that that's necessary, sure, he's, really, actually. He's voicing the they're all just spokes on a wheel idea. And, again, I think he's a bad guy, and I disagree with him, but he kind of has a you point. You need to hear it, yeah. Finn and Rose survive the holdo maneuver, but they wake up in an absolute hellscape. Yes. Phasma's alive, challenges Finn and any remaining hope we had for this character developing in the arc. Arise, Captain Phasma <laughs> of the First Order, a truly disappointed <laughs> character. Brutal. She I mean she does some cool stuff in the comics, but man, this is tough. It's like the gulf between the casting and the coolness of the costume and the reality of what she does. Lower the shields, like get beaten up by her old soldier. It's uh a Ryan Leaf level (laughs) disappointment. It's it's very disappointing. (laughs) Traitor, she shouts, and a really vicious fight ensues. Man. Finn battles Phasma with a stormtrooper weapon, another representation of the past, meaning the present and the future. He's to grapple with who he is, who he was, and who he is trying to become. That's right. You're a bug in the system, she tells him. In other words, like, you know, the reprogramming and all the things they put him through, it didn't work because of something wrong with him. That's right. And he rejects this, of course, completely by just kicking the shit out of her. Let's go, Chrome Dome, and they fight
0: That savage, ultimately decisive uppercut that busts open her helmet and allows us to very, very briefly before she falls into the flame briefly reveals that there's a human face, Mm -hmm. a human face below that. And reminds us, especially when it comes to the First Order or the Empire, so often these masked, faceless figures that they're just people or some sort of humanoid. They're all beings under those shells. You were always scum, she says to him. And he says, rebel scum. And then she dies. I love that. BB-8, who had commandeered an ATS team and was firing on the enemy this whole time, scoops up Rose and Finn, drives them out on the Imperial Walker. It is unbelievable king shit from my dude BB-8. And they make their way down to Crate ultimately, to join the fight. And on Crate, they dive right back in. No time to rest. No time to recharge here. In the heat of battle, Finn and Rose are both in the ski speeders. And when Poe, who at this point has internalized what he's learned from Leia and from Holdo, and sees as they're staring down this battering ram cannon that there is no chance of victory against this, that the odds are actually too great. Calls them off. Finn then shifts into the position that Poe was in in the beginning of the movie. We have a shot. We have to take it. We have an obligation and a responsibility to try. And it is a legitimately affecting sequence. Great direction here. Great cinematography. The way the sound and the visuals, slow motion, are used. The pacing. When Finn takes off his headset because it's just too painful to hear the people he's about to leave behind. Shades of
1: Luke Skywalker and A New Hope. Absolutely. incredible.
0: Closes his eyes. It's like, it is a chill-inducing moment. He is that determined and that willing to give his life for the people he believes in and wants to save. And then Rose comes in, hits him from the side just in time to save him, badly injuring herself in the process. And he says to her, why would you stop me? She says... I saved you, dummy. That's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, saving what we love. And she kisses him. And that idea is an important one. It is a crucial reminder, especially on the heels of DJ saying, you're all the same, really. But that is the difference, the fundamental difference. Fighting because you're trying to protect and nurture and build and grow, not because you're trying to tear something down. The film, of course doesn't end on Finn or Poe or BB-8 or even Kylo or Rey or Luke. It ends on Broom Boy back in the stables of Canto Bight. Why Canto bite? Well, it's not a central planet in this story, and that is, of course, the entire point. A reminder that the only thing bigger than the galaxy is the irrepressible nature of belief. And we're back with those three children who we met earlier in the film. And they're telling stories to each other. I like this. Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. This is real for them, the way that it is for us. It's inspiring to them, the way that it is for us. They are us, fully in that moment. They're sharing the tales, they're sharing the myths, they're sharing the dreams and the hope.
1: Yeah, there's something so meta and powerful about it. These children toiling in the belly of this huge economic machine Who find inspiration in the stories that are happening out there in the galaxy when they're interrupted by the incursions that seek to halt those dreams. One boy goes out, reaches for a broom, and he brings it to himself using the Force. Luke wasn't the last Jedi. Neither will Ray be. Mm -hmm. Force users are born all the time in this world. That's the kind of thing that, you know, for all the talk of like, oh, the Jedi would never do this. Forget the label Jedi. There are Force users all throughout the galaxy. Mm -hmm. They're being born all the time. Whether or not they train specifically and and then are indoctrinated into the Jedi way of life, they will be there. And they will be figures to rally around. Yes. Just like the last set of Star Wars movies was not the end. This will not be. Yes. There's another generation out there, and the Force connects them, and they are ready to rise to the moment. As he's sweeping, he turns to look out at the sky, almost holding the broom like a lightsaber. (sighs) This makes me... Fucking sob. (laughs) Not so different from Luke all those years ago looking out to the horizon of Tatooine and the binary sunsets or Ray looking at the ships departing Jakku. No one has told him yet that he's special. In fact, it's clearly just the opposite. But he can feel that he's just beginning to glimpse something greater perhaps for himself in the ring that Rose gave him bearing the symbol of the resistance that Holder rightly said meant so much to so many. Carrying that Would be a weapon in his hand, a saber in his hand, something else in his heart. Hope. It is an extremely poignant and fitting conclusion for the characters inside of the story and for those of us watching it all unfold. We are, for lack of a better word, this broom boy. We're broom boy. And we're looking out to our own great unknown, trying to find inspiration in the the acts of others. I
0: love this so much. I like It's really special and meaningful. Beautiful. Oh, broom boy. Makes me cry. Jason, 400 of us in three studios. That's it? We are the very last of the podcasting resistance. Not a lot. But we are not alone. So please gather the Padawan learners and head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about the whole note maneuver.
1: Lord Dern! Where is Baby Yoda, Lord Dern? Tell me. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. It was a breathtaking moment of courage and sacrifice that saved the Resistance and, oh, yeah, challenged existing Star Wars canon. Everybody's doing that these days. That's nothing new. Pursued across space by the First Order, who now have the ability to track ships through hyperspace, the remaining resistant fighters made a desperate decision to abandon their cruiser, the Radis, named for hero of the Rebel fleet, Admiral Radis, one of the great heroes of the Battle of Scarif, in cloaked lifeboats. Delicious. One of the true delicious heroes of the rubani. In cloaked lifeboats, making for the salt planet crate. Perfect. Radice on crate, just have them roll around. Like a cure. Yeah. How they pack the prawns and salt at That's Providence. It. That's it. Just delicious. get a couple of Mon Calamari, bury them, shallow grain. Awful. Cut this. Keep it all. Yeah, keep it all. But the first order has sniffed out the scheme. The Supremacy, Snoke's massive flagship and the First Order's mobile headquarters, fires on the defenseless craft. The First Order is moments away from wiping out the resistance in piecemeal fashion. Vice Admiral Holdo, who had volunteered to remain on the cruiser cruiserratus, improvised. She turned her ship toward the Supremacy. And the First Order realized what was about to happen, but could do nothing to stop it. Holdo accelerated to light speed. In an instant, the Supremacy was torn in half. The Radis was obliterated. It's among the most visually stunning and visceral moments in Star Wars movie history, and it carried far-reaching implications for the notoriously naughty Star Wars canon. Let's first talk about what we know about how hyperspace works. Hyperspace is an alternate dimension which exists parallel to the dimension in which our story takes place. Hyperdrives allow ships to access this dimension by accelerating them to light speed, Time and space work differently in the hyperspace dimension. Travelers essentially take a shortcut through hyperspace, which allows them to reach destinations they would otherwise not be able to get to, even at the speed of light. Hyperdrive technology has existed for many thousands of years. Using these drives, various sentient species, humans among them, have spread beyond their home systems, colonizing many worlds throughout the galaxy. Hyperdrives are what make the idea of an overarching galactic government even possible. Over time, hyperspace lanes were established. These interstellar highways guide ships through hyperspace, avoiding obstacles like suns and planets and black holes and other massive bodies. Objects such as these radiate their gravity into the hyperspace dimension, an effect known as mass shadows. Ships traveling too close to a mass shadow risk being pulled out of hyperspace and crashing into the body that created the shadow. Han has some advice for us on this subject. When, in A New Hope, he tells Luke, quote, without precise calculations, we could fly right through a star or bounce too close to a supernova. The supremacy is huge, with a crew of over two million souls, but not big enough to cast a mass shadow and pull the Radis out of hyperspace. So how did Holdo manage this? According to the Last Jedi novelization by Jason Fry, the reason Holdo was able to simply turn the Radis around and then jump with seemingly minimal calculations is that the coordinates for the jump were already in the nav computer. Poe Dameron had entered the coordinates and had planned to travel there to pick up Finn and Rose after the pair successfully disabled the first-order tracking device aboard the Supremacy. Of course, that didn't happen. Holdo just needed to spin the Raddus around, therefore, disable the fail that kept the ship from doing the very thing she needed it to do, and jump to the coordinates already in the computer from the book. Quote, Holdo called the coordinates up on her console, the monocalamary cruiser had kept traveling along its heading for crate since the coordinates had been entered into the navicomputer. As a result, the entry point for the hyperspace jump Poe had calculated was now behind the Raddus on the other side of the First Order fleet. Per the book, it was the Raddus's defensive energy shields, which were experimental, possibly one of a kind, and projected farther out than normal ship shields, not its actual physical bulk, which destroyed the supremacy. From the book, again, when the heavy cruiser plowed into the supremacy's broad flying wing, the force of the impact was at least three orders of magnitude greater than anything the radices' inertial dampeners were rated to handle. The protective field they generated failed immediately, but the heavy cruiser's augmented experimental shields remained intact for a moment longer before the unimaginable force of the impact converted the Raddus into a column of plasma that consumed itself. However, the radius had also accelerated to nearly the speed of light at the point of that catastrophic impact, and the column of plasma it became was hotter than a sun and intensely magnetized. The plasma was then hurled into hyperspace along a tunnel opened by the null quantum field generator, a tunnel that collapsed as quickly as it had been opened. Both the column of plasma and the hyperspace tunnel were gone in far less than an eye blink, but that was long enough to rip the supremacy's hull from bow to stern. Whoop, whoop! The next obvious question is why no one else has attempted this before in many thousands of years of previous space warfare. Clearly, the holda Maneuver is incredibly effective, folks. Why not stockpile old ships, have droids pilot them, and just rinse and repeat the holdo Maneuver over and over and over again? One theory Ben Libberg lands on in his 2017 piece about the holda Maneuver is maybe it's a war crime? Mm-hmm. Ben writes... Perhaps hyperspace ramming is so horrifically effective that it had been banned by the Yavin Convention. What we thought was heroic was actually the equivalent of a chemical weapons attack. That's the best I can do. This still would not explain why the Empire, who absolutely loved war crimes, folks. I mean. They loved them. They loved them. Absolutely. When they first saw war crimes, they loved They them. loved it. And later, the First Order, ditto on the war crimes, <laughs> yeah. didn't try it. The answer is probably that the Radice's experimental shields, along with the maneuver itself being unlikely to work in any case, unless a number of factors came up just right, made this move one of a kind. The book, in fact, Jason Fry's book, kind of suggests that Holdo was simply trying to distract the First Order fleet and may not have been trying to do the thing she did. In other words, maybe it was an accident. That's unclear. Curiously, One does not theoretically need a hyperdrive to access hyperspace. In The Call, the 15th episode of season two of Star Wars Rebels, the crew of the Ghosts encounters a herd of graceful whale-like creatures called Pergil, which are capable of accessing the hyperspace dimension all on their own. Legend has it that it was by observing the Pergil that sentient beings first got the idea to build hyperdrives. So interesting. In Wolves and a Door... From season four, of Rebels, we learn that Loth wolves, large force-sensitive animals native to Lothal, are capable of teleporting in a manner that's very reminiscent of hyperspace travel. So, still a lot we don't know about hyperspace travel.
0: Learn more about Purgles in our Solo pod in the eight, and more about Lothal wolves in our Mando chapter four pod. Delightful,
1: Mel. Mm. You know Vader. You're just a podcaster. In a mask. Take it off for a minute, so we can roll like BB8 through eight of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round style. You go first. Number one. <laughs>
0: Is that a good enough pork sound?
1: I love it. <laughs> what do you think? It's all right. Give me yours. Let's hear it. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to get the fucking porg traps out to get these things <laughs> out of my ship. They're all in my ship. They're in my wiring. They're great. You need to come correct on the porgs I'm here. fine. Listen, I don't mind the porgs. I just don't want them in the walls of my ship breeding and, and shitting and pissing in my fucking ship. You have an to animal. Clean this. He's not in the walls like a raccoon. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Let's start with porgs. These avian Octo natives live on the island's cliffs, the perfect spot for dive-bombing fish in the water and hunting crustaceans on the beach below. They're curious and capable of camouflage and cuddly all around, with a particular penchant for being scratched behind the ears, oh, little
1: bubbies!
0: Luckily for we audience members who found a new cute creature in the Star Wars universe, they came about by accident. Yeah. When the production crew arrived on Skellig Michael, the rock where the Octo scenes were filmed, They found the place overrun with puffins, so Ryan Johnson adapted, tasking a team with making their own creatures to mix among the island's actual inhabitants. The creature team played around with a number of real-world baselines for the character design, from birds to bats to otters to seals, but the combination Johnson liked best was a kind of puffin body with a seal-pug-dog hybrid for a face. Ah! Wonderful. The big eyes were the key to cementing the creature's cuteness. As Creature Concept Designer Jake Lunt Davies told StarWars.com, much like with LBY, also his ears, of course. Quote, one of the Star Wars things that we always sort of fall back on is we find that a simple shape seems to work. And the porg is essentially this sort of egg shape with two eyes on the very top of his head and a sad mouth. And as Jason noted in our Sounds of Star Wars pod, the porg's delightful little squawks were made by speeding up samples of chicken noises and humans making turkey calls. Precious! (laughs) Unbelievable. Darling!
1: Number two, what about Octo? The place the porgs delightfully call home.
0: Yeah, now you're coming around. I just
1: realized that my first kind of baby Yoda experience was when the porg was stomping on the lightsaber button after Luke had thrown it over his shoulder. Oh, cute. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, no! Protect the (laughs) porg! Located in the unknown regions beyond the outer rim, Luke's hideout planet was dominated by oceans. Mm, love the small unknown regions. Outcroppings of rock popping up to provide rich verdant land where the flora and fauna flourished. Fish like coppergrin, fingerlip garpon, and needlegop roamed the planet, which was unsettled by humans aside from the Jedi Temple located on the appropriately named Temple Island. Other worlds with ancient Jedi temples could lay reasonable claim to being the birthplace of the Jedi Order. Some. We've seen it in films like Coruscant and Jedha. Some we haven't, like Tython and Osis. But as Luke's discovery leads us to believe Octo's temple was actually the first, as it hosted the sacred Jedi texts as well. Works like the Ionamica and the Ramagon, mm. written so long ago that their languages have been forgotten. 3PO helps Rey with her translation. Raga? Something about Raga? <laughs> One wonders what lessons she might learn and whether she could put them to use in Rise of Skywalker.
0: Number three. The texts themselves were stored inside a special breed of tree called the Uneti. We've talked before about natural places that serve as conduits to the Force, either the dark side or the light. And Uneti trees seem to be one such example. In addition to Octo, we've also seen Uneti wood before in Rogue One, as Chirrut's staff was made of the special substance. There was also a Force-sensitive Uneti tree in the middle of the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. And this final example yields an intriguing connection. According to the comic Shattered Empire number 4, after Order 66 and the Imperial takeover, the Temple on Coruscant was stripped of its Jedi decor and the Uneti Tree removed, with a few fragments stored in an Imperial base on the planet Vatine. Years later, a few months after the Battle of Endor, Luke, R2, and a rebel pilot named Shara Bey broke into this facility and recovered the samples in a daring rescue. Then, Shara Bay took one fragment home, to Yavin 4, where she and her husband, a rebel officer named Kes Dameron, had a young son named Poe. The future ace pilot thus grew up with an uneti tree outside
1: his window. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Curious. Man. Sorry, sir, but what's curious?
1: <laughs> I wow, remember hit-
0: every uneti tree I've ever planted. <laughs> wow, we're
1: hitting all the, all the <laughs> hits today. <laughs> Number four, one last octo nugget. Yeah. Because we've been potting for a while. Now. Not a port. My lips are dry. I use a drink. If only we had a thaw a siren nearby. Mm. This giant marine mammal had four nipples. And a whole lot of milk, green, delicious, silky, chunky, rich milk. Ew, chunky? Smooth milk. <laughs> What's
0: wrong with you? I'm sorry. <laughs> Does the phallic iron need refrigeration? Goodness. <clears throat>
1: Much to Luke's delight, as we saw. Mm. And we've known since A New Hope that Luke does like Mm. his colored liquids. Loves. Especially based on blue. Yellow and blue, of course, make green. And he loves the blue milk. So it's, you know, in terms of the color spectrum, it's related. As he drinks a glass of fresh served blue bontha milk on Mm. Tatooine. Who's milking a bontha? Tough stuff. (laughs) Blue and green milk aren't the same, but within the universe of the story, they might as well be. Luke doesn't mind the difference, and both substances are controlled in monopolistic fashion by the Bubba Wamba family farms. Wow. Unbelievable. It's like season three of True Detective here. (sighs) It's unbelievable. Can we, like, break up Bubba Wamba family farms? <laughs> That's according to the Galaxy's Edge theme park, anyway, where patrons can order colored milk of their own. Oh, fuck, I'm going tonight. Hell yeah. Even though the Thala siren appears in just one scene for a brief laugh, and let's be real. We know Luke sucks straight from the tete when he doesn't have company. A hundred percent. He goes right to the nip.
0: A hundred percent. Just
1: goes right to it. Mouth squeeze. to nip, for mouth weeks. to nip, little squeeze, little suck. Nothing more satisfying in this world.
0: <laughs> You're very much in Sam
1: drinking Gilly's
0: breast milk on the cinnamon wind mode here. Ah. <laughs> Hold on, never tasted anything so sweet, Jason.
1: <laughs> oh god, <laughs> you gotta try this. It's incredible. The production team put a large amount of work into making the beautiful Thalassiren. They didn't use CGI. It was an 18-foot-tall animatronic puppet made out of foam latex. Delicious. As creature supervisor Neil Scanlon told Nerdist in an interview, the team built a model of the actual rocks the Thalassiren would sit on so they could sculpt the beast specifically to fit the scene and then transported it via helicopter to the island. And it was so big that two crew members could fit inside. Scanlon said. Quote, one would operate the shoulders and the flippers at the top, and the other would operate the belly and the milking mechanism or the udder mechanism at the bottom. When Mark, as you know, wanted delivery of the milk from the udder, <laughs> then the puppeteer on the inside duly obliged.
0: <laughs> Astonishing stuff. That's from,
1: from the last Jedi. Fucking Girl. unbelievable. That's <laughs> like what a what a joy to make these movies. <laughs> Just squirting ins- milk into the Sheeping mouth <laughs> of Mark Hamill from it's inside a foam thala siren. A
0: highly relatable. I think if someone had said to you a few years ago, you can make a Star Wars movie, what's like number one on your list? You'd say, I'd like to squirt milk into Mark Hamill's mouth. Again and again
1: and again. And again and again and again.
0: <laughs> number five. From giant creatures you certainly noticed, to smaller roles you may have missed. Just as in The Force Awakens, Last Jedi is stocked with notable cameos. To name just it. a few. Joseph Gordon-Levitt voiced Slow and Low, the Canto Bight citizen who tattles to the cops. Fucking snitch. Oh, wow. After Finn and Rose park their ship on the I beach. I told them
1: they couldn't. It's a public beach. You can't park her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Justin Thoreau, of course, also makes an appearance on Canto as the master code breaker. Mark Hamill, also one of the cameos, doing double duty, voicing Dobuske, the diminutive character who so rudely treats BB-8
1: like a slot machine. Fuck <laughs> This guy. That's my take. It's very tough. On Skay. Stop, protect, VBA. 8 leave him alone. Stop shoving coins into my friend's <sighs> orifices, please. Thank you. A fourth by cameo is the most fun.
0: Carrie Fisher's dog, Gary, the oh! one that she made J.J. Abrams allow her to bring on The Force Awakens set, I love it! Is in the film, held by a casino patron. On Crate, meanwhile, a pair of notable directors have cameos. Edgar Wright and Gareth Edwards, the latter, of course, are already familiar with the Star Wars universe after working on Rogue One. And, just as in The Force Awakens, a number of Game of Thrones actors carry small roles here. And they're all on the side of the First Order. A fitting statement about the caliber of people who occupy Westeros and Essos. This group includes Kate Dickey, a.k.a. Lysa Arryn herself. Ralph Ennison, a.k.a. Dagmer Cleftjaw.
1: Love my Dagmer (laughs) Cleftjaw.
0: Amira Gazala, a.k.a. a a Dothraki crone.
1: Oh, Nice.
0: Patrick O'Kane, a.k.a. and Agar's second face after he transforms to WoW Arya, and last but not least, Mark Lewis Jones, busy yelling to his underlings as dreadnought Captain Kennedy in the opening scene, Yes, who played our favorite Thrones mountain man Shaga, son of Dolph!
1: <laughs> How would I like to die? Old in my bed at the age of 80. <laughs> Belly full of wine. Mouth around my cock. Thank you, Captain Kennedy. Anyway, number six. Of course, the most prominent Thrones Last Jedi crossover actor is uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who plays the shiny Captain Phasma, a character we can all agree didn't get enough time to, that's right, shine. This was doubly disappointing for two reasons. First, the Phasma character wasn't initially female, but J.J. Abrams changed course and picked Christie after receiving criticism for the gender breakdown of his main character's except when she didn't receive much to do in The Force Awakens. Second, the press tour leading up to The Last Jedi indicated that Phasma would be more involved this time. Unfortunately, that wasn't meant to be either. But the character's backstory in time between movies was worth a rundown. Phasma was raised on the dilapidated planet Parnassos, which had been ravaged by a nuclear disaster in a mining facility. Plants, animals, food all disappeared overnight. Resources were scarce, and the people who could survive grew scrappy and strong. Phasma, no exception. Above all... She had the will to live no matter the cost. She conspired to kill her parents. Oh, my goodness. To gain admittance to a clan of warriors and later Yikes. killed her brother when he tried to prevent her leaving the planet to join the First Order. Very tough. She had stumbled into contact with the organization via fluke. Brendol Hucks, father of the Hux we know. Mm. And one of the First Order's founding members crash-landed on Parnassos in an escape pod. And Phasma, already an accomplished fighter, grew enamored of his stories and helped him survive and escape the planet. Thus, she joined the First Order and when she later poisoned Brendal Hux to benefit Armitage Hux, our good friend who hated his father, she gained a useful ally who was working his way up through the Order's ranks. For years after, Phasma's self-preservation instincts continued to dictate her decisions. When pressed and threatened by Finn in The Force Awakens, she betrayed the Force. She betrayed the First Order by lowering <laughs> the shields around Starkiller Base. Soft move from Captain Phasma. Then, after narrowly escaping the planet before its explosion, she set to work covering her tracks so nobody would learn of her treason! It is treason. Phasma was a busy killer in the short time between movies she tracked down, killed and framed a lieutenant named Saul Revis, and then to eliminate any loose ends, killed a female TIE fighter pilot who helped her reach Revis and disintegrated the BBK-8 droid who oh had assisted God. her on the mission.
0: Hideous.
1: And the killing spree worked. She made her way back to her old ally, Hux. They fucking... Uh, what do we think?
0: Definitely. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. And I think Fox. Fu- uh, I think Fox. <laughs> Fox Hux. <laughs> Fox Hux. I think Fox Hux fucks anything that moves.
1: Oh, absolutely. Hux is like, he's got some Chuck Rhodes in him. He has a flashlight for sure. 100%. A hundred percent. He's fleshlight. got
0: like a Wrath toy with that sucking yeah. mouth.
1: Yeah. It's in the shape of Kylo's mask. <laughs> She made her way back to her old ally, Hux, who Mm. believed her excuses, and resumed her leadership position. Too bad she was doomed to die not long after.
0: Leadership position is... Some position. Is that related to... We know all about Missionary position. Number seven. Horrifying, obviously, that Phasma killed a BB-style droid. But as we learned in The Last Jedi, the BB-8 that we know and love isn't the only astromech droid of his kind. Evil BB-8 exists, too. That description seems right on the surface, given that the enemy BB-8 unit named BB-9E notices the resistance infiltration of Snoke's ship and calls for help, thus capturing Rose, Finn, DJ, and BB-8 himself. But as a pro-droid podcast, we must note. Yeah. We are compelled to note. Yes. That BB-9E's deeds are not his fault, Jason. That's right. First, some background on this new character. The main difference between the BB-8 and BB-9 models is the head shape, which for BB-8 is rounded, half-sphere. While BB-9's is cylindrical and straight on top, like a droid with a buzz cut. More to the point, BB-8 can feel love and empathy and a connection to humans. We see this in every head movement and gesture and with his communication, too. He was actually the only character who sneakily said, I've got a bad feeling about this in this movie, the Star Wars staple with his little beeps and boops to Poe in the opening scene. Meanwhile. BB-9E was programmed with a sinister, unfeeling personality to better serve his master's clinical demands, and he was subjected to constant memory wipes to ensure he remained subservient, a true horror that meant both his nature and nurture conspired against his ability to love. This is a tragedy. We don't like the action that he took, but we can't blame the little guy for it. Oh, buddy. Number eight. Honestly, heartbreaking.
1: Just as cool-looking as sleek, black BB-9E is Snoke's elite Praetorian guard clad in red armor, robes, and helmet, wielding a variety of energized weapons, appearing as a faceless, emotionless defensive unit to protect the Supreme Leader. In an interview with Entertainment Weekly before the movie, Johnson contrasted this group with the Emperor's Guards in Return of the Jedi. Quote, The Emperor's Guards were very formal. They looked like they were more ceremonial, and you never really saw them in action. The Praetorians have to be built to move, and you have to believe that they could step forward and engage if they have to. They have to seem dangerous. This group was modeled to look and move like samurai, and in addition to weapons and combat training, members received special martial arts instruction to approve its fighting odds against Jedi, which Snoke predictably foresaw as the only group that might truly threaten his bodyguards. When Kylo kills Snoke and Rey snatches her lightsaber out of the air, the elite Praetorian Guards spring into action to avenge their dead leader. The real group upon which they were based acted a bit differently, however, the Praetorian Guard was an institution of the Roman Empire born out of the tradition of bodyguard units for important Roman leaders. The word praetor referred to the military commanders and prominent elected officials so a Praetorian Guard would be tasked with their protection. The first Emperor Augustus made this relationship official, and from then on, each successive emperor had a large group of essentially Secret Service agents with some FBI and military responsibilities at his beck and call. Sounds just fine. But the real-life Praetorian Guard, which was supposed to protect the emperor, often worked toward the opposite goal. Because of its concentrated military strength, the guard could essentially assassinate without repercussions, conduct coups, and pick the next emperor in the event of a disputed succession. If an emperor offended them, forgot to praise him in public, coughed the wrong way in their presence, boom, they'd kill him and move on to the next Interestingly, the elite Praetorian Guard in The Last Jedi doesn't seem to function this way, remaining loyal to Snoke even after his demise instead of seeking out new strength and transferring their allegiance to Kylo Ren. That made for their deaths in various brutal ways, but also made for a kick-ass fight scene. Wonderful. Jason? Yeah! Every word of what
0: you just said was wrong. (sighs) But today's champion is right. Every episode, we're going to honor the character who rallied the troops, advanced the cause, and today... The winner of our Medal of Bravery is, of course, Luke Skywalker.
1: I will not be the last Jedi, Luke said, but he'll always be the first Jedi for Star Wars fans, our first hero, our yes. first chosen one. Yes. Though it is Star Wars and we'll surely see him again as a Force ghost or a memory or other anthology tales, we say goodbye to him here in the flesh watching him become one, at last, with the Force.
0: But before Luke died, he lived, teaching Ray important lessons, staging a battle with Kylo so that the rebels could escape, guzzling that green milk with reckless abandon. He doubted and he grieved, and then he chose to fight. The greatest lesson, really, that any of us
1: can learn. He showcased brand new Force powers, perhaps the most impressive we've ever seen, given that he fools entire armies and projects himself across the vastness of the galaxy. This is incredibly powerful stuff. It's
0: amazing. And his conversation with Yoda reminds us that we never stop learning. We never stop growing. We never stop changing. But even as we grow beyond Luke, in this phase of Star Wars, he will always remain absolutely integral to our experience in a galaxy far, far away. One of the suns. That we see when we gaze out to the horizon. that's beautiful. Rest in peace, Luke. You're dope as fuck. Well, friends... You went straight to the dark, just like Isaac Lee and Zach Cram are in all the time. I can't, stop. I can't stop going straight to it. Every fucking time. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder, continue to explore the galaxy, and that you'll join us again next time for our discussion of The Mandalorian Chapter 7. And then after that, dun, 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 dun. our exploration of The Rise of Skywalker. Until then, remember, Secret Planet. Watch the language. Watch the language. Welcome back to At Work with Mallory Rubin. Next up, another caller,
1: Armitage. Hello. Yes. My friends, I used to have friends. They used to call me Army. Anyway, I was recently passed over for a promotion. I thought I deserved, I put the work in, my boss was recently tragically murdered, cut in half in an industrial accident. I don't want to talk about it, but a person I work with, I thought we were co-equal, both vice presidents of the organization, has surpassed me and is now my boss. He's made many mistakes, and in fact, I believe him to be too emotionally involved in certain aspects of the business to be seeing things clearly. And I don't know what to do about it. In addition, he is abusive towards me, and he has on numerous occasions choked me in front of our coworkers. What should I do? Love your podcast. I'll take my answer off the line.